Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? It's August 23rd, 2022, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 502. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Klapek. Hi. And Renata Price. Howdy. So, Patrick, you came in today uh, notifying us that, well, this joke's already washed by the time you're listening to it, uh, so I'm not going to make a, we've been acquired by Embracer Group uh, joke, but it was it was kind of startling to see not only that by some lights they, like, have access or control over, this is the part I'm not clear on, Lord of the Rings, is it access to games rights, or is it the rights to the, like, actual things and two they also teased an announcement uh as part of this acquisitions thing and the embracer stuff the meme of this company sort of like embracing everything seems increasingly true patrick uh yeah i'm gonna paste so the the lord of the rings rights specifically are uh, a complete mess they are chopped up in all sorts of different ways like for example it appears that Embracer has the rights to make anything related to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, but it can't be more than four episodes. Does that mean it could be four movies, four TV shows? Like, I, who knows? But so good. <laughs> it's and it's you know it's it, it's because that franchise in particular, like there are rights split between like the Tolkien estate. There are rights that were sold to companies that exist in perpetuity. It's 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 a whole mess of things. But yes, the Embracer Group. Uh, the company that yes is 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 largely known for buying things rather than releasing games. Although I guess they are releasing a game this week, uh, Saints Row. Uh, the new <laughs> Saints Row is te- is technically under their uh, umbrella, so occasionally Embracer does release things after after it buys them. But uh, yeah, like last week, I forget what it was. I think it was I think it was Wednesday night because people were asking if we were going to talk about it on the on the podcast, but we'd already recorded. Um, basically in the like eleven o'clock my time, I was getting ready to go to sleep, and all of a sudden I I glance at, at Twitter and it's like Embracer buys Lord of the Rings, and I, I just thought it was a joke. It's like oh right, because they they buy things and haha, and it's like no, like they've they've purchased a bunch of the rights to that day. On that day, they purchased Tripwire Interactive, Tuxedo Labs, Middle Earth Enterprises, Limited Run Games a company specializing in the release of physical box products, uh, Bitwave <laughs> Games, uh, Geotech, G-I-G-I-O-T-E-C-K, Singtrix, and Tatsujin, um, which uh, just joins a list of 76 internal studios. Since August 2017, they have bought Black Forest Games, Pieces Interactive, Experiment 101, Coke Media, which includes Dan Buster Studios, Flash Labs, Volition, Handy Games, 
coffee stain holding that they have like percentages. None of these are all, most of these are wholesale purchases. Some of them are like large investments. Bugbear Entertainment, 18.2, Warhorse Studios, Piranha Bytes, KSM, Guy Entertainment, Milestone, Gunfire Games, Goodbye Kansas Game Investment. That's like percentages of a bunch of studios. Tarsier Studios, Saber Interactive, Voxler, Destiny Bit, 4A Games, New World Interactive, Rare Earth Games, Vermilla Studios, Palindrome Interactive, remaining 50%, Pow Wow Entertainment, Decca Games, Solar Media, Vertigo Games, Flying Wild Hog, Purple Lamp Studios, Zen Studios, Snapshot Games, Nimble Giant Entertainment, 34 Big Things, Madhead Games, Sandbox Strategies, A Thinking Ape Entertainment, IUGO Mobile Entertainment, Coffee Stain North, had to get that remaining 40%. That was one of those percentage ones. Silent Games, Quantic Lab, only 95%. Gearbox Software, Easy Brain, Aspire, who recently... Failed to make a, a night to the Old Republic uh, remake. Springboard VR, Kaiko, Massive Mini Team, Appeal, Frame Break, 3D Realm, Slip Slate, Slipgate, Ironworks, Crazy Labs, Digix Art, Force Field, Ghost Ship Games, remaining 65%. Easy Trigger, Grim Frost, 70%. Demerge Studios, Fractured Bite, Smartphone Labs, Bitex, Jovung Studio. I, I could list the other 40. I won't. Um, <laughs> we get to, uh, I, even I was I tired of my own bit as I was trying to, to get through them. Um, but it, it goes to illustrate this is this is a company that has gone on like a remarkable spending spree that started during an era in which there was a lot of cheap money. Like it made sense to be purchasing companies because uh, investments, the money was plentiful. The economy was uh, booming, um, you know, even uh, pre and during COVID in, in various forms. Um, and now we're in a period where money is less cheap, but also companies are looking to be acquired. And if you are a big fish um, and also willing to sell your soul to the Saudi government in exchange for a billion dollars, as Embracer did uh, uh, earlier this year, um, you can buy a lot of companies. And what's different about Embracer is that they are outright purchasing. Um, it's it's very you know you the other sort of mega companies that exist at the moment, like a Tencent, uh, they're largely doing investments, right? Like they're partnerships. They are they are mm-hmm. they're getting holdings in various companies um, as opposed to purchasing them outright. Um, and and embracer is just saying nah we'd rather we'd rather purchase purchase them outright and i think that raises the larger question of like what is the end game here and i don't i i don't have a clear sense of that yet yeah it's an it's an odd it's an odd portfolio in some ways because they own dark horse comics rob all right <laughs> well <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the state of Dark Horse is. But uh, I just mean. But I just days. mean it's. It is not as though there is a single through line. Mm-hmm. No, and, and and kind of what I was what, where I was going with that thought was, if you look at when we talk about like Microsoft's acquisitions over the last couple of years, all that like makes a lot of sense, right? Where we're like, yep, like Microsoft has not is not only trying to make like Windows and Xbox gaming more of like a unified thing, but also mm-hmm. they have a product in game pass uh that they're really trying to uh stack up content for uh like that stuff like it all sort of serves a plan you can sort of outline i think part of like what's so weird about the laundry list of studios you're naming is a lot of them are like well-regarded studios that have had like a success or two but none of them like not none of them, but like many of them are not what you would consider like powerhouses of game development. And the franchises they've like hit with aren't necessarily things where you look at and say, wow, that's going to be a great cornerstone for future like exploitation of that market they uncovered. Like this is just like 
it's like when you go grocery shopping and you're just fucking starving. <laughs> right like that's how this that's how the, they just, and they and like don't no, no, they, ha- they haven't anything they're still hungry right. you get you get home and you realize like why did i get the big reese's pieces and like <laughs> three bags of cool ranch doritos but like not milk and it's not like in like two years they're going to be like announcing the embracer orb which is the new the the hot new console the embracer orb like that's that's not the plan so like it it is inexplicable i guess or like is it inexplicable like it it is by the standards of like how we tend to think these businesses being assembled but you look at it in terms of like the fact that like private equity for instance like did Mm -hmm. something really weird over the pandemic and is continuing to do this which is buying single family housing which isn't something that necessarily was regarded as a large-scale investment vehicle but like I think part of this issue you you mentioned, Patrick, about like cheap money being out there and concentration of wealth is like you start getting really bizarre investment strategies that kind of amount to, I don't know, what if we just bought tons of vehicles for future human endeavor and economic activity and like got a piece of that? Because that's kind of what that, that that's kind of mm-hmm. what that portfolio sounds sounds like, right? It's like, well, we'll get a piece of anything interesting happening in like mid-tier and indie spaces i guess it's like the it's like the megacorp strat uh, yeah i think that i think the the housing example is, is actually really good because it makes it it calls to mind like the the dystopian future of living in a in a branded housing development um and i think that like it is a it is a strategy that feels almost self-parodic uh, in the, in the ways that we traditionally think about like how large businesses and corporations act uh, in a way that I find uh, interesting. Uh, I don't. This is just this is just a theory. But so I did a profile sort of of the company from uh, earlier this summer. Uh, I think the headline for the piece was "Why is a video game publisher trying to collect every video game ever made?" Which is also a thing. Embr- you know, the preservation had, initiative. Embr- yeah. Embracer has a series of vaults in Sweden in which they are currently, they've spent, I think, $2 million uh, to build a collection of games. Why? That The story doesn't really answer that. Embracer doesn't really have an answer for that. The theory is at some point it might become a museum, but mostly this is a, so the, you can't, hmm. Lars Wingfurs, I think that's how you pronounce uh, his name, who is the, uh, the head of all of this, like is the one who, uh, got rich uh, building uh, like retail establishments in in Sweden and eventually formed THQ Nordic and all of this comes out of Lars. And uh, if you were to look at someone who is he's a genuine nerd and he genuinely loves collecting things like he collect. It was told to me, didn't get into the story that Lars doesn't just collect objects, but like collections of collections. This is someone that like prizes having things not necessarily from a i need to own it but like there's a sense of surrounding themselves with the things that they enjoy started with comic books became video games um and expanded once it became like an empire and there's a real way you can look at this in which is this just a rich kid who got older and has access to a ton of capital and is is buying up the things that he likes, and and they can also be a bunch of small to medium 
risk bets um, that you could be laying the groundwork for. But, uh, it, you know, it is not hard to look at this and also to see, oh, a kid that collected comics is now just collecting video game companies because they have assets at a different scale. Uh, and then the question for me becomes, what does it mean for these people to work under this group, which is a question that we don't have a great sense of, um, you know, some of the early reports out of folks that like running limited run games have, I mean, of course, they're going to publicly come forward and say it's been good so far, you know, because what are they going to say that Embracer <laughs> is terrible? Um, uh, but that's that's my question is like, what is it? What does it mean to work for this company if that is the the attitude and and sort of the mode coming from the top? Uh, what kind of budgets are they getting access to? Like, sure, it does. Idos gets greenlit to make a new Deus Ex game, but like, what does that mean? Like, what what does that mean to make that game? Is it worth it if it's like a mid you know a mid tier budget um, when you're trying to, when you know the expectations would be far different? So um, I don't know. It's it's bizarre. Uh, we also I would recommend pointing people towards the Lewis Gordon who has written for us in the past wrote a big piece about the sort of like the great consolidation that's happening across video games uh, for the ringer um, and, and Embracer is a, a big part of that piece while also talking about what's been happening at Microsoft and Sony and, and, and sort of like tech uh, writ large, but uh, it's odd. Yeah, it's, it, it's definitely a strange thing. And we're still at this phase of, to your point, Patrick, we don't know what Embracer running these things really looks like yet. Right. Like some like some of these early projects that are coming out the door are still going to be more informed by the old management that was in charge of things. Right. Like, um, let's see, how long ago did they acquire Volition? Right. So Volition is February 2018. That was Um, that was that was what? uh, Cock Media, right? Yes. Yeah. And so that's four years ago. That is that is roughly the time Like you could probably broadly say that most of the new Saints Row game, which I've not played, I. I asked for a code and straight straight. Usually you just get ignored. Hey, we just, um, or there's some flowery language instead. It was no, like we're just not, no, you, you can't have a code. It's like, oh, okay. All right, well, <laughs> noted. Um, uh, and then reviews um, came out and we're like, I can, I can see where they were. Yeah. Not. I, can, yeah I can I can see why they weren't being careful about the code. Uh, <laughs> I'm still going to check that game out. Cause I'm, I've been a fan of the series in the past, but I, I think broadly speaking, we can, even if that game was in pre-production to some degree, in uh early 2018 that the vast majority happened under embracer um and even if that game after having played it i agree with the most of the critical consensus that it's like kind of eh uh that's kind of the trajectory volition was already on the game they made before that was yeah yeah uh kind of eh uh i forget forget what that was i'm looking that up now uh agents of mayhem uh in which they tried to lean into the superhero stuff that they they had in Saints Row Four, which I quite liked. Saints Row Four and Three and Four were both were both pretty good, and then I fell off after that. But um, Angels of Mayhem was not not that great, um, and so I don't know that you can like Volition seems to have stayed on roughly the same path from from Agents of Mayhem to the new Saints Row, and we're allowed, you know, to, at least to that game's credit, like they they were very public talking about how they wanted to change like the diversity of the. The characters and the identity of that series and they seem to have done you know at least done that stuff so i mean that's encouraging that they were allowed to completely upend the identity of that game and not just if 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 embracer was as cynical as they could be like hey could you bring back all those characters that people really liked from those old games make another one of those uh and they didn't so i don't know if that's a 
plus one for Embracer, but it is notable that game was largely made under their, uh, you know, uh, observance. And that's that's the game that came out the other side. A game that feels very in kind with what Volition has done before um, and now just under under Embracer. But it, then the question becomes, is Embracer, is the diversification allows them to release a bunch of games that don't need to be spectacular and they all just add up to a, a, a bigger pyramid? I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a good point, too, because one of the things that I've been given to understand about partly what explains just the, dire- the direction in terms of what gets greenlit by publishers is that they don't. They or the people in charge of the money, at these places do not feel like they have a have room for a ton of bets per year and they want to make very safe predictable high return ones and that's about it that even things that you you can project will probably work out to be reasonably profitable are still not as uh alluring as you know just not running the measure risk that's in there and not spending the resources uh to get that measure of profit when the possibility of uh higher return is out there and I suppose one thing you could conceivably get with a massive bloated investment vehicle like this is that suddenly if the model is across this entire portfolio, we net a lot of small, uh, like small profitable enterprises. Suddenly we have a really good rate of return on all these investments. I don't yeah, know. You know, like, you know, one of the things that Embracer has done the most in the last couple of years is just re-releasing old games, right? They buy up THQ, and I think they're just in the middle of re-releasing one of the Destroy All Humans games. Like, Destroy All Humans, not a franchise that was ever a massive blockbuster, but well-liked, well-made, quirky, funny open-world games. And it, it's hard to imagine too many other companies caring to re-release those it would be sort of either backwards compatibility or that's about it or it has to get a big sweeping triple a like justifiable new release and instead a lot of it what they seem to be doing is buying up a lot of existing property and then how can we release those towards you know uh, a fan base that will appreciate you know a modest update and you know re-release Update Soul Reaver, you cowards. You own Legacy of Kane now. I Soul Reaver was one of my favorite games growing up. Uh bring bring that back. Uh and then I'll be and then I'll be on Pro Embracer. That's all I need. I just if I could just ethical, you know, oh, yeah, no, for qualms sure. aside, you bring back Soul Reaver and uh I'm good to go. No, hundred percent. Like they're like, you know, we understand the tons of people of Volition been dying to make free space three. <laughs> and I'll be like, yes, I love you, Saudi Arabia. Jesus. Consolidation, baby. As long yeah, as it gets it me what I cool. want. I love the Lion City, but probably not. That's that's probably. Oh my god! The fucking... Don't remind me about the Lion City. That's just so funny. <laughs> the, Lion, the Lion City, the the impending sociological and ecological catastrophe, uh, waiting to happen. Uh, it's it sounds it's so it sounds silly. real cool. Uh, so setting that aside, um, I've been putting a lot of time in this past week into I've, I've returned to Warhammer 3, uh, Total War Warhammer 3. They just released their Immortal Empires uh, update. And this is kind of your omnibus edition of the Total War Warhammer series. So 
to catch you up a little bit, the second game in the Total War Warhammer series introduced like a new continent where effectively all the pseudo European nations of the old world are doing uh, like 17th century colonialism in the new world and fighting uh, like lizard Aztecs, that kind of shit. Um, and the entire, the, the, the map from the first game was kind of cut off and it was all focused on the, like this new continent and all the new stuff there. Uh, but in the mortal empires update, they unified the two maps. Uh, now that would have been unworkably large. They sort of scale it down, but they, they got the, they got both continents onto the map and created kind of a huge, like uber campaign that you could do for total war warhammer 2 warhammer 3 uh expanded the map further uh out into like the northeast and like added some regions to the to the original continent and now like they've spent a long time developing immortal empires which is the thing that's going to throw everything together into one giant map every faction from across the series etc and I think one reason it, it's taken a while to bring it out, um, but I think one reason they probably ended up like lingering over this was because Mortal Empires, when it first came out, was both really buggy and just if memory serves, like kind of a performance nightmare. It was one of those that like this started like the way I remember it. I don't know how like correct this is, but the impression I had of it was creative assembly had a really good sense for the two campaign games they wanted to make for these first two games. Mortal empires was kind of a, I don't know if this is a good idea, but like it sure is big. And so it was like the, um, what was it? The KFC double down uh, a mm -hmm. few years back. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's, that's more. Didn't they buy, didn't, didn't at one point, uh, I don't think we we're in the office for this. Didn't, uh, motherboard buy like four, 40 of them to bring in for everyone to try. Do you remember this? I feel like there Rob, was something like vaguely, that. That wasn't some the Popeye's chicken sandwich craze, was it? Because that it might have that, been the Popeye's chicken. Yeah. Because 40 double downs. That's too many double downs. It's too many. I don't I, think I feel, <laughs> I feel, I don't feel like it's, a, I don't think people would be like, fuck yeah, 40 double downs are here. That makes us happy. But, I but I do think they did the uh, the Popeyes thing. Maybe it was the, um, the spicy uh, chicken sandwich. You might you might be right. I don't think I, I never experienced the double down. I, I I passed on I passed on that one. And that was kind of me in Mortal Empires too, where like you, you, like <laughs> people who who love Warhammer are like, oh man, this thing barely works. It's incoherent. I love it. And I was like, mm, no, thank you. Uh, let me know when it's good. And later it became good apparently, but by that point, like time moved on, etc. So, Total War Warhammer Three comes out, and it's got all this stuff, but. It leaves aside the stuff from the first two games, and now Immortal Empires brings it all back together into one giant world map. And even though, again, it's sort of scaled down from what you see in the single player campaigns, uh, it's still enormous. Like it is, it, it still feels just like a map that kind of goes on forever. Uh, and maybe the most impressive thing about it is across these three games, and a ton of DLC, which was a huge part of Creative Assembly strategy for this. They 
did a ton of faction design uh, in this series, kind of mixing up how Total War factions play, um, creating like bespoke mechanics and campaign structures for each of them, which sounds more impressive than maybe it is because their solution for like new and novel campaign structures turned out to be momentum mechanics, like across the board. It was like for years, it was like, and we got a new faction and it's going to blow your mind. They have to stay on the attack again and again. And if they're not attacking, they're losing. Uh, but if they, if they charge up enough, they really roll. And that's kind of, that's, that's a ton of the factions they designed some version of, uh, you know what they what they kind of kicked off with the orcs which was they they just got to sort of keep rolling uh and, and keep moving but now all those factions are are piled into this uh this immortal empires campaign and it's kind of self-justifying and and awesome just for that right it's three games worth of faction design and content and everything rolled into an update that I think is just free. Like I think if you, I think like War Total War Warhammer Three is just going to update like sometime tonight or early tomorrow. Uh, well, by the time you're listening to it, it will have already happened. Mm. But and then I think when you go click new campaign, there's there's Immortal Empires uh, and a ton of factions that maybe you didn't pick up in the previous games. And that's a that's a really cool thing. Uh, that that is that is an amazing way to sort of like jump around and and nibble uh, at the various the various treats that that uh, have been have been offered through through three of these games. The catch is, um, I also realized as I was playing this that man, I do not like the flow of Total War Warhammer campaigns oh. anymore. Um, I have, I have really hit my limit on a few of the choices they made at high level about how these games work. And in a weird way, those choices and the approach that creative assembly has taken to designing like these campaigns has kind of flattened the experience and variety that all these different factions promise, um, to, like there's kind of two things in play uh and they're they're kind of like mutually reinforcing the first is that and i wrote about this uh on the site but total war has always in its marketing especially loved showing siege battles like if you go back to i think the first time this really happened was like if you go all the way back to rome 1 one of the things they did to really break through and signal that like it's a whole new world of total war out there was just tons of screenshot screenshot drops of like Roman centurions on ramparts and siege engines rolling toward them. And you're like, wow, that's really cool. Like actual street fighting. It looks really good. If, if you were to ask me as someone who doesn't play these games, care about these games, but is exposed to X amount of marketing materials, like, what do you think you do in those games? That that is that is what I would describe what you do in these games. You oh yeah, they're all, putting, they're all putting up ladders and they're they're climbing up stuff. You know, like like that's that is like the defining, and it makes sense from a narrative spectacle standpoint. It is it is like such a arresting image uh, to to see that. But that is uh, that is hundred percent my takeaway on like you must spend a lot of time <laughs> doing that in these games. So for a long time you didn't. That was the funny thing is for all that they were like they would showcase it endlessly in marketing. 
most of the time these sieges were kind of not necessary for you to play not, through. Not also not fun. Like when we sieged in in our stream series, it was the kind of every consistently the worst part of our streams. Right, because there's a few th- like this is a this is a game engine designed for open field battles. Uh, the camera works for open field battles. Just the entire structure works for like two armies drawing up on interesting terrain and sort of fighting it out. Uh, and yeah, the the siege battles kind of jam all these units into these narrow little mazes, uh, which again is kind of cool in some ways. It's interesting, it's interesting for variety, but is not actually more interesting than your your typical field battle and also you begin struggling pretty pretty hard against the fact that like the way units control and move in total war doesn't necessarily like mesh with how the city maps work but for a long time this wasn't such an issue because you mostly didn't have to do any sieges like again by the time you rolled up on a city you'd beaten the army protecting it. You just parked outside it until they surrendered. And that was, that was kind of it. It was very rare that you had to fight a a big siege where, where the outcome was really in doubt. Uh, And creative assembly kind of seems to have decided like that was a problem because they kept trying to like emphasize and exaggerate the importance of city defenses and city garrisons to, to make them tougher enough to crack, uh, to make them things that uh, would be able to put up a bigger fight against, uh incoming armies and then with like the total war warhammer series in particular they started introducing a bunch of stuff to really exaggerate the importance of like fortress assaults and such uh to the point where like it almost becomes mandatory in places and it's and and in warhammer 3 they introduced some cool stuff like there's some tower defense stuff you can put up like towers that that fire enemy like units you can build um like barricades that will sort of redirect the flow of enemy units through through the city all that stuff is neat it's a it's a cool addition but it all comes in a game where there are so many castle assaults now you have to fight it's just it's just constant this is like the thing you do in this game now uh feels like almost more than the field battles uh it's it's way more now a game about posting up outside city walls and like sieging a bit until you feel ready to do an assault um and that interacts really poorly with one other thing they did which is to make sure that to make sure the game's like balanced and that every single single like faction that you can play has like a similar arc in terms of like challenge and escalation every faction basically has an identical starting position it's just a different place in the map but like every single faction you start there's a small like rebel army right near you and you have your capital and then there's a bunch of small outlying settlements that you have to like seize uh in the opening turns and then the game sort of opens up and you begin trying to expand so every single like game you're you're whether or not you're supposedly like a, a great super empire or not, you, you basically start off on like a very tiny base and you have to slowly like expand through this, this opening stage where because the troop numbers are low, now these siege defenses are way more potent. And so everything is slower in the opening game, which is 
really different from the previous games. Total War was often as at its most dynamic in the opening stages where it's like, all right, new campaign, like time for all the, the fun, easy conquests. And then like once we sort of figured out what the what the game kind of looks like, now we've been clashing with whoever else has emerged from the opening stage uh, in a powerful position. And that was a really good dynamic, right? It was like just sort of a real chaos opening round. Bunch of people get wiped out. And now we figure out who our remaining players are for the rest of this campaign. And they begin they begin clashing. Uh, Total Warhammer kind of has been getting away from that model. And with Immortal Empires now, in part, I think, because they want to make sure every faction feels interesting to play around with. Um, they've They've fully gone into sort of making all the starting positions generic. And so there's this weird thing that I was getting to with this game, which is like, wow, I I wonder what, what the vampire counts are like in this, in this game. And it's like, well, they're, they're kind of like the empire, which is kind of like the dwarves pick a dwarf, pick a dwarf faction, any dwarves. It's going to be kind of the same for them, which are kind of like the chaos Vikings. Like it goes on. And so at a certain point, you're like, you're kind of just playing the same game with different, unit rosters but there's no there's not a lot of sense of drama to it and also they make you they've turned what used to be really dynamic part of the campaign into one of the slowest and one of the most like prescriptive like prescriptive in terms of the 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 steps you have to take and so like immortal empires kind of highlights all these these issues that have been sort of bubbling up in total war and it's like in part because of the way immortal empires is structure structured now it's like all in sharp in in really stark relief and you can't unsee it is this a patchable like is this a patchable level of problem or is this like a fundamental design fault i think uh so there's two things uh i think for immortal empires in particular in terms of those game starting locations that's something they've just chosen to do uh so that like every faction would feel viable and have uh, a similar path through the game in terms of like how the siege stuff has come together. It's sort of patchable, but the irony there is they introduced some stuff and again, this is more in the piece I wrote. They introduced some stuff that is very unpatchable and is broken, but like we're talking like can't be patched because it is like, what I've seen multiple times, not necessarily from developers, but like just on uh, a recurring theme in like forum discussions is that some of the stuff they have done, their issues with are because they like tried out some ideas that don't work because of things that are really deep in mm-hmm. the like foundations of modern total war games, like code. And rather than, take those features out they've kind of been like well what if we created some special rules to accommodate these bugs and it doesn't entirely work um the the big one is that they tried to introduce this idea of uh because total warhammer 2 you know it's big fantasy series you can't have a big fantasy series without an impassable gate you can't do that (laughs) like you need you need your ice alone for fortress you know you you need uh you need your helms deep 
you know, you, you need all that stuff. So they introduced this idea of rather than cities, which everything had been to date, they were like, now there's a special kind of fortification called a gate where it's just like a door that you keep sealed against the enemy. <laughs> but it turns out there's a cities exert a zone of control. If they are under siege, their zone of control disappears, which means they're effectively transparent uh, to nearby enemy armies. And so if an enemy rolls up on you and they have two armies, one begins a siege, and now the gate is open. Now the second army can just walk through without, like, like as long as they have something they can attack on the other side of the map. Uh, on the on the other, especially if they they have something on the other side of the uh, gate that they can target, they can sort of brush past it and go straight into a battle with like say a say an army was sheltering behind the gate or say there's a town back there, so the gates kind of stopped like they they kind of had this huge exploit that, that emerged from day one and it seems like that was not fixable just because of the way like cities and settlement zones of control work on the strategic map of a total war game their solution to that was well if anyone tries to do that we'll just trigger the uh the siege battle and force them to fight it and so if like you are even walking near a gate that is under siege now you'll get a notification that you've been attacked by the garrison and you're like sweet the garrison came out i'm gonna fuck them up because like they had to leave their works now they're gonna come fight me you know, out here in the fields. No, no, no. To fix that, they are attacking you. And you then have to attack into their, into their defenses. That's that's the battle you get. Is like you are the defender, but the battle you get is an assault on some of the like toughest fortifications in the game. And they're like, that's our solution to making gates stay viable. Uh you know, in spite of this issue, which which kind of works. But it just makes no intuitive sense. And the the other thing is because they've made sort of siege warfare and gates such a focal point of like key parts of the map, you will see this weird shit all the time, like constantly. Uh, and so like Total War for a few entries uh, and and Immortal Empires highlights it as well is game where now just sort of routinely you see it fall apart before your eyes. And the solution has been to just be like, eh, you know, we kind of fudged it. It's house ruled. You can see what we're going for here. Right. Ugh. And like you can, but it's not, it's not great. And also like, ain't nobody want to fight this many siege battles. I mean, maybe, maybe they do. Maybe, maybe I'm the weirdo here. Who's like, <laughs> I personally have a, there's a point at which I'm good uh, when it comes to sending dudes up on ladders or like in the siege towers or uh, like firing cannons at walls, like playing like little uh, a little pathing game through through city streets. Uh, there's there's a point where I've, I've had enough of that. Like I, I, I'm, I'm OK, um, but the modern Total War direction and particularly Total War Warhammer 3 is just like. You love sieges, don't you? I know you do. You love them. You can't get enough sieges. Oh, no, don't say no more. I I can see you're trying to get out of these sieges. Don't be shy. Help yourself. (laughs) I made plenty. Here, let me put some on your plate. Ooh, take a... Hey, you look so parched. Gamer, 
You appear so parched. Take a sip of siege. Yep. Please. Our our reliquaries are full. Yeah, and you're you're, you're just like you're you're sitting there and being like you're trying to figure out like I need a, I need an excuse to 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 get out of this and you just it, it, the game's constantly like no you got to do it. It's like Especially, a big family big family dinner where you're like grandma or something just sees coming over like do you oh you want some more? Oh just there's so much. Like gr- just take a little more and then you're and then you're grandma's fine. specialty. She makes yes. this once a year. It's a huge yep. do, do not do not let her think you don't enjoy it. Break her heart. You could just just put it on your plate and then get up and then you could just throw it out. You just throw it in the trash like you you take that shit. You take it with a smile. <laughs> and then do it again. Be cool. And also, and also, po- tell your brother, t- tap him on the shoulder. Tell him the same thing. Hey, be you fucking just, cool. Just ask her the recipe as we leave. Just like you know, be like, just, just it, it means so much to her. It, hey, Grandma, it. how do you make a siege battle? Just can you let me know real quick, <laughs> Grandma? How do you, how do you make a siege battle against you know, a go- nigh impenetrable, a nigh impenetrable wall? You know, you know, my girlfriend wasn't able to make it, and she she told me last time that she she, she adored it, and so I just love to be able to make some. It won't be as good as yours, but <laughs> well, you know, my secret, my secret is okay. The siege battle doesn't really work, <laughs> but but I've got a few special ingredients in there that nobody will know the difference if it broke. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and that's and that's kind of it. That's that 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 is it. It's like. Uh, yeah, I guess it's sort of achieved the consistency they want, and like is it's there in bulk. But uh, well, well, I guess I guess you know I don't again like I don't play a ton of these games, but I, my to some degree it's a measure of it seems looking at it less cynically is just we need stuff that looks cool in in the trailers, like stuff that's bombastic. How do you, how can you conceptualize achieving a similar level of like conflict and bombast that could replace the siege, or is it that? the siege design is just boring and actually it could be more interesting if they reapproached how the sieges work or do you think there's something conceptual about the siege itself that sort of lends itself to, well, you're just watching a bunch of uh, units do a bunch of boring things. And there's really not a whole lot you could do to change that. I feel like with, I think with total war Warhammer three in particular, they probably did the best job I've ever seen of like making the siege battles interesting and kind of cool. And I think it's one of those things where they actually kind of did the thing you were just describing, Patrick, but like in the process, they put it in this framework of you're just going to do so much of it. And so now, right. like, you know, ho- like with with horrible irony, they <laughs> they kind of fixed a lot of the issues with, sie- with with siege battles and made them kind of cool and something you might want to take part in. But it's more. not a special moment. It's not like, oh, once every X amount of right. hours, like, f- oh, fine. Oh, shit. A siege. Right. Uh, and they got it up to that level where like every few hours if there's a siege battle with the with the set of mechanics and the way the sieges behave, you'd be like, fuck, yeah, I want to do it. Like, let me add them. Uh, and instead, now it's like. Every turn, like sometimes literally like you could be fighting one of these battles every turn and there are just not that many like t- like settlement maps like it is and they all kind of feel the same because again it's all going to be like street grids uh and defenses whereas what this is really in tension with is the fact that total war field battles exist when two armies clash in open ground away from cities and that's kind of where the series has always had its bread and butter and they have just constructed someone, someone pointed this out on twitter uh in in the comments to, to me posting my article they've kind of designed a lot of sections of the map where all the cities are within like one standard move of each other and so there's no point in putting an army out in that open ground 
because it's just smarter. Like if someone's at all disadvantaged, they'll just retreat behind their walls. They won't give you that open field battle. So they, they set up these entire like little, you know, clusters of nodes where you've, where you're literally kind of bouncing from siege battle to siege battle to siege battle. And also you have to fight more of them than you want, uh, especially defensively, because if you let the AI auto resolve it, uh, they will not put up as good a fight frequently. It, the auto resolve does a great job on the attack. I will, I will give it that. Like you can check out Ren's and my, my streams, uh, our performance doing siege assaults versus what the AI would have achieved. If we just auto resolve, let the AI fight your siege assault for you <laughs> by all means. But conversely, you will extract like a higher butcher's bill from fighting out these like foregone conclusion siege battles. And so you'll have these entire like clusters where everyone is just bouncing from one siege battle into the next. And you never get many opportunities to have those big expansive open field battles uh, with like all the map varieties you get in the open field, right? Like forests, snowy mountain ranges, river crossings, swamps, all this stuff like exists in, in, in these games. And that's not really relevant in siege battles, but they've mooted a ton of it uh, just because of the way they've designed this. So like, I think Patrick, it's, it, it's, it's funny. They, they've taken the steps they they've needed to, to make the siege battles good, but they've also in the process, it's kind of like, I, uh, this is, I'm not speaking from any sort of knowledge of this, but you can sort of imagine a scenario where in order to justify fixing it, you also, you, you know, it's, it's the content thing. You want people to see your content. If you're going to invest time in fixing and making the thing mm -hmm. good, there's a temptation to be like, well, of course we want to see, we want people to see how good our works are here. So let's like foreground the sieges more in total war Warhammer three. And I think that's kind of where we ended up. Uh, the other thing it kind of solves is that, Historically, these games, the AI can struggle a little bit to put up a great fight in the open field or play a great campaign game. The siege mechanics tend to function as a bit of rubber banding because the way city garrisons work is they're free armies. Like, even if you throw an army away in a battle, the city you're, that's, that is behind you still has, like, a huge garrison that's, like, basically a full army itself that doesn't go away. Uh, until it's like besieged or assaulted. And so even if the AI is kind of profligate with troops and is just kind of getting worked by you in the field battles, you will still have some real obstacles because you can't kill these city armies. Uh, you have to go into the cities and root them out. So I think that's the, the other function uh, that all this fulfills, which is kind of to create more obstacles that you have kind of have to mantle over. Um, in order to make the pace and flow of the game work, work a bit better, um, which isn't, it, it, it solves some problems, but I think it's like one of those things where it alleviates problems rather than solves them is the way I put it. Like it, 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 it draws attention away from the ways that like their strategic uh, AI and the way the AI fights tactical battles can sort of fail um, in, in open territory. But the siege battles make it all look a little more competent. And so it, it becomes just a harder like problem for you to solve, even if the AI doesn't have to do anything. So I have a question. Yeah. Is this part of 
Is this because all of this content has been adapted into Total War Warhammer 3? Or do you think that there is no approach that lets you make something this big that actually feels coherent? Like, that that is encapsulating three games worth of factions and ideas, shit like walls, that are like, there is no way this engine will be able to make something that is compatible with that vision. That's a good question. I think... I've I've seen some commentary that, like, at some point, they're going to roll out, they're going to put, like, Total War effectively on a different code base, and some of these root-level issues could be alleviated, but I think... I think some of it's also baked into the concept from the start, and then it's probably exacerbated by the fact that it's not just that it's a game of this scope, it is the fact that it's a Warhammer game where every single faction has to have it's unique dog and pony show uh, that's, that's going to be the star of all this. Uh, And so I think that's, I think that's something else is that there's a lot of incentive to, I, I have sort of felt like the total Warhammer series in particular has even outside the siege battles kind of suffered from a problem where they're trying to box in the encounters a little bit and force these armies to sort of clash in an authentically warhammery way and force the sort of hard counters into play and the the, the unique abilities of of the factions into play uh in a way that I think is probably intention with creating some of the dynamism uh that you might want from a, from a game of the size and scope. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's like that's that's my suspicion is uh, like like part of it is there's just so much in the source material that people expect to be there in a like strategy tactics game uh, like this that is kind of awkward to translate unless you start maybe making the game itself resemble a little more closely the tabletop experience. And there's a lot of people who love that. There's a lot of people who like. Every time I run into problems, people are like, oh, you like, no, here are the hard counters you need to worry about. Here's the here are all the little like variables that sort of smack into each other. And if you understand how those things line up uh, now, the battle is a lot more legible. I find it kind of illegible because so much of it is about like now army composition and like knowing what the, you know, unique abilities and and values of the units are uh, that the other issue with Total War Warhammer is just. I think there is more happening under the hood just in terms of the math playing out than ever before. It's more relevant than ever before. Mm-hmm. While the stuff that it can be visually represented is kind of like leaves things kind of opaque. Um, that's that. That's the other thing. Like uh, so much of Total War has been about getting a degree of momentum in a battle and like causing enemy armies to break and slowly like unraveling them total war uh warhammer from day one has had tons of like unit types that just don't break and so immediately it's like you have to kill every single one of these little guys on the map and that changes the start that changes the flavor of the battle completely uh and and not always for the better uh but yeah i mean it's like it's a neat thing. Like I, I like Total War Warhammer. Uh, like 
up to a point, it's just it always exhausts like it always exhausts me faster than I want. Mm-hmm. And I think um, Immortal Empires kind of was the the big flag. It sort of made it crystallize for me in a weird way because the 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 whiplash between like. I'm sitting there looking at all the factions and all the starting locations, and I'm like, oh, yes, it's going to be so good. <laughs> I can be the lizards, and I can invade the old world. Uh, or I can, you know, I like maybe Cathay can slowly work its way over and into, like, fuck up that, like, elven archipelago. That'd be, that'd be awesome. And then you start the games, and you're like, I will never play enough of this to get to the point where these guys are running into each other. I cannot right. handle this. Uh, I can't do, I can't do this anymore. It's been three games. I can't do this anymore. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I've ended up with some of this. Um, but you know, fans of the genre will love it. <laughs> Aren't you a fan of the genre? Well, you have Aren't to you that person. I was going to say, you have to literally be a fan of the genre because you need to own the previous two Warhammer games in order to get all in order to unlock this mode. It's not so it's not so I'm, I was looking I was looking I was, to I was see, looking this up too because I was looking at because looking at the PR email. The way it says is uh Immortal Empires is a new campaign mode for Total War Warhammer 3 available for free to owners of all three Total War Warhammer titles. Oh, okay, yes. okay, okay. So that's I was like, I was like, wow, what a generous package! A free update for Warhammer Three. <laughs> it's only free because the content is being ported mm-hmm. in some way, mm-hmm. which is also they they've mentioned here that they're calling it a beta release, uh, because they've, like they they don't think it's quite quite done because it's a lot of work right like it's a lot of content no and they they, they, i think they've learned from mortal empires where it was like oh like i'm not sure they called that a beta release but they were like look it's beta uh (laughs) but yeah this feels a little bit hedging i will say it was really stable like i was really impressed Mm -hmm. i was fully expecting this to be a shit show and with the with the exception of the fact there's a lot of like placeholder ui in it Mm -hmm. um like in terms of performance it was great like the turns like whipped through despite them having to like control 300 AI factions per turn. Damn. Uh, (laughs) And like, you know, it, it, it moved along pretty fast, which was, uh, which was cool. But yeah, I mean, here's the weird thing. I think, I think you're probably right. Kato to a degree though. The people this is for already own those games. Right. They're like, I got so tired of mortal umpires. I already played my forever game is, is done. I, I spent eternity playing Mortal Empires. I need a bigger forever bigger. game. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like I, I I do think and especially like to your point, Patrick, I'm a fan of like the genre, like broadly. I think the Warhammer of it all creates kind of a special case here because there because part of it is people just have a relationship with this thing where it's like, you know, man, the Skaven are my faction. I just I, I celebrate the Skaven wherever they wherever they make their nests. And so Immortal Empires gives you an entire planet to to blight uh with your little with your Jesus. little rattlings. Uh so so have at it. Um I hope you, I hope you like sieges. You probably do if you've got if you if you love to if you love the total Warhammer series, you're probably like, mm, siege. Uh 
we'll just take a quick break here and then we'll let you all get into what you've been playing back after this quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And we're back. Uh, of course, to those of you who subscribed to Waypoint Plus, there was no ad break at all. You enjoyed the episode ad-free. As always, congratulations. If you'd like an <laughs> ad-free version of this podcast, go to waypointplus.com. Subscribe. Some, uh, Rob, some people might some people might still be listening to those ad-free <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Patrick. Um, I, I have... I haven't heard anything that the Yahoo anime rules apply to us. Uh, are we the Yahoo anime? (laughs) I would, I would never reach out to the company that administers Waypoint Plus and be like, "What the fuck is going on?" (laughs) You need to cut these people off. But I would never do that. (laughs) No, you'd ask someone else to do it. All right, Patrick, uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is tell me what you've been playing this weekend. Uh, yes, uh, other than getting towards the end uh, end of uh, Neon White, which I'll save concluding thoughts when I to get to that, other than to just encourage people. Uh, that game is, is very long, um, uh, although I think justifiably so, and the mechanic it introduces at the end is some of the is legitimately some of the coolest platforming I've experienced in a game in a long, long time. It is, and I don't even want to spoil the mechanic because the reveal and implementation of it is so fucking sick that it, you should just keep pushing forward if you if you stalled on that game at some point because the story is sort of whatever. But the the, the gameplay stuff really kicks into gear towards the end. But the game I've been playing, um, uh, the, I played the first two episodes of We Are OFK, which is, uh. A new game from one of the X designers on uh, Hyper Light Drifter, uh, part of a new studio. Uh, the pitch of We Are OFK is essentially you're watching the formation of a like music group, kind of like you know a pop group, K-pop group. Um, it's a bunch of young twenty-somethings in Los Angeles. Uh, these are a collection of very messy, talented individuals. Uh, and the, the, the gameplay setup is your, it is structured in episodes. Two of them are out now. The third one comes out next week and there are five in, in total. Uh, the, and, and the, the gameplay itself is, is, is really like a visual novel. It's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, listening to people talk, occasionally getting to choose, uh, responses on a text message thread that are just like three different ways of saying the word boba in different cute formats. 
Um, you're not making like meaningful choices in terms of. Well, so Rob, the way you laugh is <laughs> no, 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 I, like, no, 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 no. Immediately, no, yep. All right. So this game, I am a fan of like writing flourishes. I think uh, Night in the Woods is like my favorite example to point to of a game that could be like extremely cringe um, with the way it's uh, Night in the Woods writing style is very online. It feels very modern, um, but I found it very accessible and interesting, relatable. And it and it worked. Um, I'm having I'm struggling more with we are uh, OFK, which takes a similar route in which a lot of the writing feels it feels very, you know, I, I don't know how the youths are writing. Um, but I think even like regardless of how realistic it is, it is a stylistic choice um, that is meant to really convey like these different characters. and. It works as often as it doesn't. Um, m- m- lo- frequently, it makes the characters feel unlikable to me. It is not helped by the fact that one of the main characters, Luca, who is this, just a, he. Uh, th- there are there are a writer working for a video game company, largely doing like, uh, uh, like they'll get an assignment that's like, hey, I need you to write three thousand words about this mech. Here's the deck on. The, you know what exactly uh, this character is up to. Go write the flowery uh, backstory for it. Uh, they get fired, and uh, did you say something, Ryan? I was going to say that's not. I, w- I want to write that deck. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well. It, yeah. Luca seems like got a good thing going on, and Luca uh, treats all their friends like shit, and is constantly ignoring people, trying to help them. And I see where the game is going. You're bouncing between perspectives. Luca is one of them, but is is certainly one of you. Probably spend the most time with Luca. I find Luca to be the least relatable, least interesting <laughs> character and and has the writing that grates on me the most. And every time I'm just praying for the sweet release to go spend time with the other characters in this game. Uh, who and you are, not, their- you are not feeling like, wow, this is a compelling co- character portrait of no. like a flawed but relatable no, no, It just seems like I a complete, like- just a prick to all, to all their friends. And their, <laughs> friends, their friends are just like not confident enough to... Like call them out on it, which may be you know uh, the nature of being extre- you know extremely young. It's, their their ages are not exactly spelled out, but they don't seem much older than their their mid twenties. And so their their ways of uh, telling someone they're being shitty are like, oh, like you be a mean emoji, 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 and it's just it's tough. It's tough out here. Um, and separate from all that, so I. Love pop music. It is it is catnip to me, and and games that mash up with pop music are just I, I you know Cyanar Wild Hearts, one of my favorite games of the last couple of years. Like that is an interactive pop album. It has incredible music top to bottom. It also has some really fun and inventive ways of. It doesn't feel like the gaming parts are superficial. Um, and in We Are OFK, what happens is you get about forty five minutes in Visual Novel Land, where you're getting an occasional you know, cell phone uh, exchanges. And then there is a music video at the end. And these are, I think you're supposed to kind of reflect, these are singles for the band that will eventually form. And you're getting uh, these singles uh, reflect sort of like the emotional state of one of the characters at the time. And it's, 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 it's a neat concept. And the music's actually pretty decent, especially relative to the stuff that you would see in a video game that is trying to go after pop stylings. I don't know that I would, 
I listened to Sayonara Wild Hearts afterwards. I like I thought the music held up as an album. I don't think it works here uh, to that degree, but it's it it feel it feels good that the, the songs are enjoyable to listen to. Um, they're crafted really well, like they they work. The problem is is that they also try to incorporate interactive gamey elements, and they just don't work at all. Like they just com- it just completely falls flat. It is it is it is to the degree that they might as well have stripped them entirely away and just allowed the aesthetics to run a little wilder without wouldn't it be interesting if the player was behind one of the main characters and their interaction was just to move the mouse left and right so it tilts their head like not no like not not really so none of that stuff ends up really really working and um so it's but i'll give the game credit i i I like that it's it's bite-sized it sort of like allows me to come in spend a little time in this world some of the relationships that are happening between the different characters are really, really interesting. And I'm curious to see where they land. Um, but like, fortunately, like slight spoilers, I guess, for, for this, for this game, at least Lucas starts apologizing at the end because like, I just need this character to get into a different place or else I'm going to uninstall this fucking game. <laughs> um, uh, so I don't know, you know, I don't know where that'll land in the, in the, in the ensuing three episodes, but, uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, but I, I, I struggle with it. It's mostly just made me want to go play Sayonara Wild Hearts uh, again, which is not like the worst place to end up because that game uh, rips. But uh, it's a little disappointing for uh, this game specifically. Yeah, the. uh, I don't know. I I do wonder. uh, I'm so curious if some of this is also just, yeah, like the generation gap. Yeah, uh, I don't know. That is that is millennials really hard for go me to back know. to their midwestern town and vandalize it, but <laughs> Zoomers do this. Uh, oh you know, but I don't. I don't. I don't know. Um, do you want to make the Zoomer play the game, Rob? Do you want to make the Zoomer play the game, Rob? Does the, does the Zoomer want to play the game? After hearing that, does the Zoomer want to play the game? Not, per- not particularly. <laughs> I mean, what, oh, so so the problem is the Zoomer is also from a hard scrabble midwestern town. That's true. Shit. It's true. It's true. I listen. May after my own after my own heart. May is Bea deserves better. I mean, it's just it's just difficult. Like there, it it is such a choice to do this. The, the writing style is like hyper specific. It is going for a thing, and I I think yeah, Rob. There is a chance that this is a like a generational gap, but I. I think even when games choose to do this or any sort of like mode of writing that chooses to engage in something really highly stylized, uh, you also need to format that in a way that makes it accessible to like, (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't think the zoomers are probably playing. We are OFK. This game seems very specifically pitched at like, at me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like 30 somethings that like want to watch stories. This is like not dissimilar to the discovery that what was it that the, uh, the, the CW target yeah. demographic is a 58 year old, uh, people that want to watch young people fuck. Like, yeah, like we are okay is essentially targeted like a 37 year old dad that wants to see the formation of young people struggling relationships and also producing a pop album. I, I just want to know one thing. I went to the About Us page for the dev- devs of this game. Excellent portraits. Mm-hmm. Every developer portrait, excellent. Terrific. The art's great. I could the- I could look at these portraits all day long. Yeah, the the art the, the style of the game is 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 terrific. The art uh, direction is is great. Um. Uh. Oh. Okay. So man, I really should have started off the top with this, but just to give you a, I feel like this is a concrete feel for what I'm talking about. So. 
when you make a game and you want to reference real world things, there are like a couple different ways you can go about that. Um, this game chooses to call like it constantly wants to talk about social media and it calls Twitter Twibber over uh, and over again. Now we're good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Just but, call it Twitter. but Ren, would you like, aren't you a huge, or no, Kato, sorry. Kato, aren't you a huge fan of the video game Tabamon? Yeah. Bro. Yeah. I and love- the, <laughs> I remember your favorite character to catch is Pika nude. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <What>? Wow. <laughs> Excuse me. There's a line between so- avoiding, uh, avoiding, uh, copyright and uh making cheeky jokes that they've crossed <laughs> so I, I really wish I, I i had written down this note because I, I was trying to uh, grasp onto something concrete to explain like that that vibe uh-huh is 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 the writing right and it's an extension from there for the approach for all of all of the characters I mean, now granted i find this mode of referencing real life things to be incredibly distracting i i would rather you just invent something completely different instead of like just riffing off of like how the thing the the, the things sound you know uh, in in a world where you could use uh, the real life names I find it distracting it takes me out of the world um, and they do it and, and the game does it constantly like it is it is frequently it's not just like one reference to Twitter it's like you know a dozen and at the, you know six times in it's just like, Riverdale you know. does this. But I think it yeah, but hold on, but, but Arch I think it doesn't have better. a long tradition of <laughs> yes. like, uh, like very um, God, what is it like? Almost Mad Magazine esque, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, kids, listen to this. Here's another reference you won't fucking get. Uh, Archie comics have very Mad Magazine esque approach to like winking. Archie, at- Mad Max. Do you want to talk about Spy Magazine next, Rob? <laughs> But like for instance, Veronica Lodge is always like talking about her American excess uh black card. Right. And it's like, ah, uh-huh. commentary. <laughs> well, I think you can do it, right? I think you can do yeah. it, but I think part of what this illustrates is that it's hard, right? Yeah. And you have to you have to pick your you pick your fights and um and humor goes a long way to making that land. And they're trying to here. Like I, I see what they're going for, but I found I I, I broadly found it uh distracting and I and I I think that exacts those references then illustrate a lot of my broader issues with the the, the writing style in, in, in the game itself. There are some things that I really, really like about it that are like wholly separate from the game and the writing and, and its characters, which are um, it has speci- now it can get away with this because it's it's like a game and not which not a lot of interactivity is happening, but uh, it's it's. Uh, it's exp- pretty explicitly linear, but it's got timers attached to each of the episodes. So on the title screen, it says episode one, 52 minutes long. Episode two, 55 minutes long. And in the game, if you pause, it shows you on the timeline where you are. So for example, this morning, I really wanted to finish the second episode before we recorded so I could get a better sense of the story. And I almost, I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to request to start the podcast 10 minutes late. Um, Let me see where I'm at. I was like, Oh, I'm I have I'm six minutes from the end. Oh, okay. Actually, I can finish this and slide into the podcast just fine. I was like, that is slick and cool. I yes. wish you know. I I I I Patrick don't wants it. time to read uh like notes on every yeah. website now. Well, the the um the the uh I don't unfortunately because I bought a new PC, I play so much on my PC now. But one of my things that I loved about the PS5 is that it has um for all the different activities 
in, in, in the games you play in that there are time estimates for how long the missions are going to be. And so there were times like playing like Horizon Zero, uh, or, what was the second one? Forbidden West. Forbidden West. Uh, in, in which it was like, hey, it says like this quest is going to take you 45 minutes to complete. And I'm like, okay, well, I've only got 20 minutes before I want to wrap up. And so I would, I, I could prioritize based on that. I, 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 I love that shit. Um, it's, I think it's really cool. And, um, I liked that forwarding of the time element here. Again, it can kind of get away with it because of the structure, but, uh, I thought it was neat and worth, worth shouting out. Uh, so Ren. Hello. Last we discussed, uh, Guilty Gear Strive. We were all affected, moved. Yes. impressed yes by the arc of bridget and how that character has been sort yeah. of reimagined <laughs> uh sure for, for a different for a different age yeah how are we feeling about bridget these days ren uh playing against bridget makes me transphobic um, <laughs> which i think is not the intended outcome they had when introducing the character reintroducing the character they were like we really want to <laughs> we want to ground this character in a in a more modern understanding of gender we don't want her to be a joke anymore God. and i think that they've succeeded at all of those things they also made her an irritating little shit. Uh, and for that reason, I have grown to despise her deeply. So, I, think I think she's neat. You oh. sure do, Kato. Kato, what's neat, about, what's neat about Bridget? Well, what's really neat is how quickly she moves, which is super awesome. Uh, I, I've picked up Bridget. Uh, as a main because um, one of the weird disconnects I have with like most regular fighting games is uh, basically the cooldown before between moves can sometimes throw me off where I feel like I, I hit that button but my punch didn't come out and it's all about you know there's frame data and shit Bridget's buttons feel amazing you know you're throwing a yo-yo around and it goes uh, it zips out really quick and it zips back to you and like it feels like i i can hit the buttons whenever i want and it always does what i want in a way where a lot of other slower characters feels like sluggish to me and so bridget is great for me cuz i just like i can do combos without having to do too many uh I feel like there's a lot more button-only combos that Bridget has mm -hmm. uh, that are really great for, like, early learning than a lot of the other characters where, like, you're definitely doing special moves to chain combos uh, early on a lot more. Uh, but I have hit a plateau where, like, I'm only only getting to a certain level, but the buttons still feel good. They feel good. They're oh, yeah. fast and, and yeah. they're snappy, you know? Yeah, Kato, let me just check in on Ren here real uh -huh. quick. Ren, yeah, uh, yeah. How, how would you describe this, this moveset and the, the <laughs> dynamics of, of, of Bridget's speed, of the simplicity of those little button combos? How are you feeling about so, all that? So, to put Bridget's, the, why Bridget's, why do Bridget's buttons feel good? It is important to put that into like a, a particular context. Bridget's buttons feel good because they are two things. Relatively fast on startup. Um, not super minus on block generally um and i can get into the like i explain what that means in a sec but generally means they're 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 beneficial to use uh they're not super risky so quick startup not super risky and they're fucking massive uh so she's fast she has massive buttons and at mid to high level play she has some of the most broken mix up potential in the entire game 
there she is a character who if she knocks you down one time will make you make probably 15 decisions and guesses every like six seconds and if you guess wrong back in the bridget blender baby get get back in that fucking funnel you dumb sack of shit that was a high you guessed low dumbass get back in hell uh and then it just continues like that um ad infinitum unless you manage to outrange her or rush her down uh some characters can rush bridget down giovanna for example um but the character who I've picked up recently, Testament, has a lot of trouble rushing Bridget down because their buttons are just as big, but much slower. Oh, very slow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so basically, Bridget can kind of do a ton of shit for free while also outranging most of the cast. Her only downside is that she doesn't have a ton of damage and her defense is like, she has a DP, she has a reversal, like an uh, invincible reversal, commonly referred to as a DP. Um, but there are two things that contribute to a Guilty Gear character's um, uh, health. Uh, their actual health, uh, and then their gut score. Uh, and your gut score, basically, some characters take less damage as their health gets lower. Bridget does not. She has zero gut scaling, and so she will take the same amount of damage throughout the course of a match. And so it, once you get her, once you put her in your blender, she's kind of fucked. Um, but she has a ton of great, great tools for just beating you in neutral and then mixing you up dozens of times over. Yeah. <laughs> Kata, do you feel this is all a fair assessment of, of Bridget or is there yeah. a chance that there's some... <laughs> animosity no i think i feel like uh i really this is the big thing is that her neutral game is really good right like before you have to s get into doing strings of combos which i'm bad at uh but the but i can just play the neutral forever who needs to <laughs> if i if i keep them far away enough it'll be fine um but yeah i mean we me and me and Ren played a few games, and I did very poorly against Ren because Ren is very good at fighting games. Uh, and I was that. playing Bridget, so it's like not too broken. Because I feel like if I got like too many games off of Ren, I would have been like something's up. Because <laughs> I don't, I do not like. I'm I picked up Strive basically when when Bridget dropped because the the moves the move set seemed very speedy, and I liked that. Um, so yeah, I feel like. Also, a thing to mention, a thing worth mentioning, you've got these, like, kind of screen, almost, like, three-quarter screen-wide attacks, uh, that yo-yo has a hurt box. Like, if yes, the yo-yo whiffs and they throw out a punch, they can hit you, which uh, certain better Potemkins, uh, Potemkins, like, a huge grappler guy, can really take it, have taken advantage of. Why do they of. all have the best names? Huh? They are, huh? Why do they all have the best names? Like in like, why do all guilty gear characters? Yeah. Because it's a fucking game? good game. It's sick, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Fucking okay. Potemkin is a hey Rob. Potemkin's a big man. He's a big Rob. He's a big man. When I show you Potemkin, you're gonna think that's a robot. I just I, and need, I gotta no. tell you, Rob. <laughs> good question. Is there a chance that despite me. him being a big man, there may not be as much to him as you think? 
I don't know what the bit you're doing is. <laughs> oh, like, well, so the Potemkin village thing, right? Like right. When, I, when I hear, when I think about Potemkin, I, I like famously like, uh, like to be a, like a Potemkin anything is to be kind of like a false facade. Mm. I don't know the answer to this. Uh, but Potemkin is, is a big man. <laughs> Uh, Potemkin's lore is weird. Um, Potemkin, I don't, I don't remember Potemkin's lore very well. He's one of those characters who kind of fades into the background because the trauma of other characters kind of supersedes his lore, which right. I think is relatively normal. Because other people are like, "Let's go to the trauma store and pick out a bunch of shit on the shelf." <laughs> uh, this is like if that dude from Final Fantasy IX went to '90s steroid era comics <laughs> and like got that treatment. Uh, right. You know, you know the big like. Uh, like the Germanic li- helmet field, dude, almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is bad, but <laughs> what an absurd character! Amazing. So He's that's great. all meat, by the way. He's not a robot. It's all meat. It's all meat. Um, yeah. But yeah, as you were saying about Patepkin Kato, I was just saying, uh, um, because he's got such high damage. If I with a uh, there was one fight against a particularly good Potemkin I had where I, I kept whiffing just just so and he would throw out uh, an attack that would hit the yo-yo and deal a bunch of damage to me and it's 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 uh you know that that the fact that you can hit the yo-yo to deal damage to me feels like okay there's you know there's a bit of counterplay here if you're if you're um, aware enough uh, he kept jumping over them, which was the worst thing. Just like being able to jump straight up and then just throw something straight down at the yo-yo under him, and uh, I was like, "Damn, you've got some reflexes." <laughs> oh wait, was it Mega Fist? Some yeah, like okay, so the, he's actually not jumping there. Mega Fist uh, does it the, jump? Yeah, it, d- it jumps automatically. I you can see, either okay. use it in the air. That's not really a reflexes thing. So it was just spamming Mega Fist. <laughs> It probably was. That's that's exceptionally <laughs> punishable. Uh, basically, what you want. <laughs> I can explain how to how to fight against Mega Fist later. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I guess my beef with Bridget is that Bridget's kit is very well suited to punish a lot of Testament's kit, uh, who is the character that I have picked up. Who um, Testament as a character was the last character released at the end of season one. Uh, and their whole deal is they have a cool scythe and they have these big fucking big ass buttons. Um, but all of their moves have really slow startup and are extremely minus on block. Uh, basically, minus on block means that when you hit an enemy, they can act a certain number of frames before you can act because the recovery time on your move is longer than the time that they are in block stun. And so, when I hit an enemy, they can move before me, is the is the long and short of it. All of Testament's moves are minus on block, with the exception of one move in which they have to be six inches from the enemy, and it is only plus one on block. It is not <laughs> good. Uh, they make up for this with their specials, which are basically built up of two projectiles, a cool crow, and a uh, two kinds of fireball that go in two different directions. And then the crow flies to wherever the fireball lands. If the crow hits you, you're put in stain state, at which point all of Testament's moves become plus on block. Uh, and they go from one of the least threatening rushdown characters in the game to arguably the most threatening character in the game like that, because stain state is terrifying. 
And so they have this really engaging two-step offense in which you are trying to do everything you can in the first part of the match to set up stain, and then your opponent has to run from you terrified, because if you touch someone with stain with any ability, they explode and it sets them up for a combo uh, that is really, really powerful. But Testament struggles with how slow their buttons are, and there's a ton of characters that are basically hard counters to them, and I am starting to suspect that Bridget might be one of them, because Bridget manages to outrange Testament while also outspeeding them. Uh, and that puts them in a very, very difficult position, which is why I have so much beef uh, playing against Bridget. It is also the new character in a fighting game beef, uh, in which everyone and their fucking dog is playing this character at the same time. And you're just like, man, I would love to be fighting anyone else uh, other than 43 consecutive Bridgets, having- all of whom play exactly the same because they're all learning the character. I'm having trouble finding matches. People are backing out. <laughs> like at certain oh, wait, times. For real? In, yeah, at certain times of night, uh, they're just can nobody in the lobby wants to go. Like they're all like, "You're another uh, Brit? No, bye." And that's when I know it's time to go to bed. <laughs> well, it's good. It's a good community to keep to to help you make positive decisions <laughs> uh, for for yourself. Yeah. It's um, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, I was just saying the Bridget proliferation is is intense. I have I have several friends other than Kato who are like, oh yeah, I'm picking Strive back up to play Bridget, and I'm just sitting here fucking stewing about it. I'm just sitting here going, <laughs> oh god, I'd love to spar against a character who isn't a Bridget. Oh, if only I was friends with a Biken player, uh, whose Testament's worst matchup. Um, uh, if only I could be sparring with a Biken player. God damn it. Um, but no, it's all Bridget's. It's all Bridget's everywhere. All the time. <laughs> um, I feel like on that note, we're well poised for a little dip in the question bucket, unless we have uh, anything else we want to hit before we move on to that. Submerge us, Rob. All a right. dip. Uh, so, Jason writes... Hello, good fellows of Waypoint Radio in the spirit of asking questions that do not boil down to, hey, Rob, what do you think about this expensive and obscure thing? I have a gaming related query. If any of you are like anything like me, you can't just sit and listen to a podcast. You need to be doing something. And there are only so many dishes in the sink or paths to be jogged. The obvious answer is playing games, but this can present its own problem. A game with actual story means you're either pausing the podcast every 10 minutes and risk forgetting to unpause, thus ruining the entire point of the exercise, or you're trying to catch the gist of two entirely different conversations at the same time, which is just futile. That's my question. What games do each of you like to play when listening to podcasts, audiobooks, or other things that only need some of your attention? For me personally, I find my most reliable are the uh, Musu genre of 3D hack and slash, such as the Dynasty Warrior series, and its endless spinoffs. There are quite a few podcasting voices that I just associate with conquering ancient China and or saving a particularly war-torn Hyrule at this point. I hope this question has found you all well and that you're doing your best to enjoy good vibes in this back half of a rough and tumble summer. The pod continues to be great as ever in this exciting new dynamic you've all discovered. Best wishes, Jason. So... I will say straight up. Actually, somebody wrote in. Uh, I didn't. I didn't pull this email. Somebody else wrote in talking about because of their attentional issues, they don't have podcast games effectively. Uh, that like 
the attention doesn't split that way. Almost like there is like no threshold, which something really becomes compatible with actively listening to a podcast. Uh, And I'm actually closer to that, that end of things like Mm -hmm. podcast gaming for me is kind of a foreign concept because I am horrible at splitting focus this way, which, which sucks for me. Cause like, for instance, um, so you play a lot of strategy games with downtime. In theory, it seems like the some of your favorite types of games would fit uh, like a long meandering podcast. Nope. The problem. So so the thing is, like for instance, a couple of years ago, I was deep into BattleTech, uh, and the NBA playoffs were going on. I was playing BattleTech while watching these games, but I realized halfway through I wasn't seeing any of the games. Like, I was looking up. I was like, "Oh, when did when did this game tighten up?" And I had no idea. I missed like I hear the announcers talking about what an amazing comeback. I had. I I'd missed it. So like tactics games, I get too like sort of zeroed in on the, on the tactical puzzle um, strategy games, like even paradox games. Uh, I'm still like looking too hard at the numbers and whatever I'm, I'm doing. And also for me, like I tend to, when I'm thinking, I tend to hear what I'm thinking. Uh, mm-hmm. So as I'm like, like reading stuff and, and sort of like looking through tables that's kind of like a, a narrative track running a, a narration track running in my head. So like there's very few things that I can just be like, Oh, I'll, I'll listen to this. Like, while uh, I'll listen to a podcast while playing playing this. There's, there's not many games that, that fit that bell. Like maybe if I'm just doing some really like um, low intensity, like racing Sims or like something in the vein of, cause I've been doing this this weekend, like a little, a little, a, a little solitaire game perhaps mm. uh that's mm-hmm. that's podcast compatible for the most part there's a lot of folks i know who do a ton of things splitting focus between like a game and something else mm-hmm. and i'm deeply envious of them because i can't do it that's the i was gonna say the only one that really actually works for me where i'm not then later going back to re-listen to parts of the podcast that i missed is puzzle games um and that most of the time is specifically for me as electronics whatever happens to be the one that i might be dipping into that one works or like something like simple like um into the breach is like simple enough that i could listen to podcasts while i was playing that i feel like destiny often gets sold as a podcast game which maybe once but there's now too much not raid leader kato not right now <laughs> raid leaders on com- kato's on comms well, not nah, during a raid fucking absolutely not there's too much shit to be <laughs> no, i yeah. thought you were about to go the other direction and be like during a raid of course of course i'm listening to a podcast that's how i catch up on npr yeah is when we're god i mean there there is a certain point where uh once everyone knows what they're doing and they've done it enough times you can get there um but the the like the 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 mission structure in destiny has changed such that like there are more people talking in your ear and actually it matters where <laughs> before it was like when they were they were just they're basically just saying barks and like go get that thing and like whatever and now they're like so wait, destiny about- isn't a game where you're just like i'm gonna shoot things against the skybox for like the next hour and I can listen to I mean to- it can be after you finish the story missions. Like there's story missions and then there's like the grindy bits. And the, during the yeah. grindy bits yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say I ignore I was like, the I grindy like- bits. That's the thing. Oh, I've, that, I've yeah, you, you mentioned this last, you mentioned this last week <laughs> yeah. uh where it was like can't anymore. I can't so I just I'm done with playing game. Yeah. I've I've done with I'm done with playing those parts of it. it 
I like don't care enough. I have guns that are like not perfect, like the exact role that everyone's like, this is the perfect version of this gun. It's like, it's fine. It still feels good. Uh, they made a very good base game where like you can definitely engage with it at different levels. So I don't do the, the like grindy bits of that game anymore, but the, the bits that I do play are very story heavy and I would just like totally lose the plot if I wasn't paying attention. Uh, Cause I'm already, you're already splitting attention, right? You're already shooting things and like actively like playing the game while people are talking and saying like important things. It's basically, maybe you could solve this problem by just pulling itself. up, you just pull up Biff videos and have those running while you're, so whatever you miss, you just get, it just mm-hmm. comes right back on you. Right. Uh, uh i don't play uh, like my gaming time is so f- like focused that i don't i don't really have games that i'm zoning out on um and I, often i'm so attracted to story either like story driven games in which there wouldn't be a moment to have that uh or i'm playing like a game like you know neon white where i i just need to be so laser focused on what i'm accomplishing that i don't i i there would be no splitting attention. It would just be noise on in the in the background. Because um, <laughs> for and I listen to a shitload of podcasts, like a lot of podcasts. But what I do is I like that's where the the AirPods come in. Is like I love that I can have one in my ear, and when my kids are playing and I'm cleaning up the house, like there's just oh, a lot of parenting is just following your children, sighing and cleaning up the shit that they <laughs> left behind in a room that you weren't in at the time, and. And so, like, there'll be, like, you know, Saturday mornings where, like, okay, I didn't want to do, I didn't want to clean that up on Friday night. The kids are off doing something, and I will spend, you know, two hours just doing chores around the house, and I keep one headphone in so I can, you know, I can listen, and, and but I also, I have to, you know, be attentive for the next time the young one just bites the old one for no particular good reason. The, the, the younger one, um, it took us a while to figure it out. She's picked up on shut up, which is not a word we say in the house, but clearly it's happening at the daycare and she's two and a half. So her language skills are accelerating so quickly, but they're still sort of mumbled. Yeah, um, they said, and, shut the fuck up. And uh, we were all really uh, impressed. Dude, there was a, there was a moment, um, at a, at a, uh, uh, a, some social gathering a, a couple months back where my oldest is very attuned to swear words. She doesn't say, well, I've said this on the podcast where we're like, we, we, she doesn't say them. She gets mad when other people say them. And she was sitting next to me having a snack while a buddy of mine who's very prone to, to swearing, uh, kept dropping F bombs. And Jessica finally had enough. She's like, you realize you're, you're saying bad words, right? And he says them so frequently. I'm sure we all have friends like this. But like they swear frequently enough I'm that, that friend. it's just, it's, it's yeah it just becomes part of like it's it's just part of the language there's not like and i'm dropping an f-bomb it's like no it's just that's just anyways this is th- that type of person and i know i didn't like i i'm sitting in front of a kid and he has two kids and he's, i'm not swearing and she turns to him and goes you said fuck i heard it and i am just <laughs> dying it was so funny i could not get mad at her but she was correct. He's, he's, she he, was does correct. Not, he, is, he does not know he is fuck, swearing like a longshoreman in front of his kids. And he looks at me just I he's, he's like, I'm, I'm, who's in trouble here? I'm like, nobody. <laughs> this is so funny. But the, so the, the, the youngest one, I, we finally we could because you can't sometimes she'll say things and you're just like, I don't I don't know what you're saying. Um, and then you just show things to her over and over, hoping you're going to trigger whatever whatever it is. And we couldn't figure out this one. And 
my 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 wife was convinced she was saying shut up and i was like i don't think like i i don't think she's saying that and then this morning very clearly my uh she wasn't eating her her breakfast and so my wife goes like you know elizabeth can you can you eat some more of your yogurt and she just turns and goes shut up and it's just like it's clear as, clear as day <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> how do you reprimand a 2 year old it's hard um anyway so that's how i listen to to my podcast while being told to shut up by a by a two-year-old i uh i've kind of stopped listening to podcasts um i i i used to listen to them an exceptional amount uh but since i've uh since i started here i've been i've kind of i've kind of fallen off of them i think that there's something about doing uh two to three a week uh, that does that does shift your relationship to the medium a wee bit, and also I don't know. I think that like as I've continued to uh, do things, I've started committing to like doing things wholeheartedly, and I kind of don't like splitting my attention as much. Occasionally, I will put on like a YouTube video that I really really love. Like there's a couple of Jacob Geller video essays that I will put on while I am doing something. Um, usually if I'm like playing Caves of Hood or something like that, that is my go-to. I've, I've put an obscene amount of hours into Caves of Hood recently. Um, but that's, that's most of what I do. Oh, actually I did the, uh, uh, John Boy's, uh, Atlanta Falcons documentary. Um, that was my, that was my recent, uh, the second monitor, uh, Mariners. I will go through those, like, I will go through at least one of those a month. Uh, I'll just like have two days where I'm going to be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put on this documentary and I'm just going to play on my switch. while numbers happen at me. And then I get to hear a cool story and I go, damn cool numbers, John. Um, but yeah, I think that like, I guess it's caves of could for me right now. Cause that is a roguelike where when I see something really exciting, I will go pause the other thing. But a lot of it is just me like exploring a ruin uh, until I find like an ancient shield that's like connected to the history of the sultans or some shit. At which point I'm like, oh hell yeah! Then I'm like, well, back to dungeoning, uh, <laughs> and I and I fall back into my little hole. I um, I just want to know one one feature I love of my little Sony headphones is. They're noise canceling. And so Pat, you, you keep one ear out and all that, but you don't have to do that with these because you can have them either uh, cue on t- like hearing speech and then they'll cut the noise canceling and you'd hear, but that doesn't, it doesn't always react as well. Or you can see someone's talking to you and you just cup your entire hand over the earpiece like a normal person. Exactly. It is the most, it is the most like. That's, that's how I like to have interactions with the people around me that are closest to me. Could you please cup your ear so I can ask you if, no, hold, hold on. I didn't cup. No, no, no. It's it. better. It's better because I can just be like, yes, <laughs> I am cupping my ear. Is there oh some piece God. of information you would like to relate to me? Because I was in the middle of a very good pod. Like you're at the news desk, breaking news. My partner yep. has wants me to take the trash out. My uh, my little my little buds are also noise canceling, but they have a they have the inverse of a noise canceling mode, which is like a, a noise amplification mode. Huh. And so if like I'm in public and like need to be aware of my surroundings, um, like if I'm going through like the subway and I'm like I don't want to not be able to hear 
kind of what's happening around me just in case i will turn on i will turn on the noise amplifying and so i can hear my music really clearly but like i can also hear like the din of people around me and if someone's like hey fuck you i'll be like i just said fuck you wow <laughs> damn and that is my that's that's my uh workaround for that particular problem uh it's extreme extremely useful mode on the headphones whoa wait a second it seems, seems like we all stumbled into speaker chat. Erd! Better go back to the old question bucket. Uh, we have a we have a great email here from Aku. Aku writes, "Hi, wonderful crew. First time, long time. This last just gone long, Patrick. They they've been following you since the one up days. Aww. just caught up with the pod. Truly a five star runtime. I'm happy." That Rob is happy with his speakers, but I'd like to ask, especially Rob, have you made the jump into the world of immersive music with, say, Dolby Atmos? If not, wouldn't it be great to be fully inside the music to have sound all around and above you in three spatial dimensions to have a guitar strum next to you? Not somewhere vaguely in front of you where it's surely clashing with the other speaker due to the nature of the less sophisticated stereo rendering. Why should we be satisfied with such a grotesque mimicry of a real musical performance? Personally, the only way I can truly enjoy music nowadays on headphones is immersive spatial audio. And with speakers, it's either spatial or another system with virtually no sweet spot, as I want to be able to enjoy music the same wherever I am in my apartment. Aku's solution to all of this is uh and and the subject line for this was great broke stereo woke surround bespoke immersive <laughs> and uh i could just want to bring my attention and and i appreciate this we want to bring all our attention to uh these these ba- these is this a, does that say a beowulf no bail play a9 uh, for just thirty five hundred euro, you could have been called a bail. Yes, could have been fucking called anything. You can get a satellite. Dish. I know what this is. Yeah, it's a it's yeah. a light reflector for when you're doing photo shoots. You know, you see, Kato, it's got circle. multiple. It's it's versatile. You know, this might seem impractical, uh, but Rob, it's a okay, one here, point user you, system. I love to go to the photography studio and just be pounded with a drum set coming out of a single <laughs> light reflector. It's my favorite part of the experience. Sorry, There's a very, cr- very critical piece of text on here that, Rob, I feel like you've walked yourself into a trap. Mm-hmm. And that trap is, can you read what it says in the bottom right hand corner? <gasps> 30 day free you- trial. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, don't. One point music system. If you if you are if you are going to subject us to these fucking emails <laughs> where you can just go off about speaker systems, the least you could do for us and the audience, if you can get your partner to sign off on having a like four thousand dollar credit purchase that will eventually get. Is refunded. that what that means? Nice. I was about well, I to assume, ask. I was about to ask. I assume you are paying for it. You, yeah. you are paying for it, and then you get that money no, back no, when you return. But what I mean is. I was looking at the price and I was like, why does this say three and then there's a space and then four ninety nine? Is it oh, actually four thousand dollars? Or is it like you need to buy three of those for the system to work and they're each four ninety nine? No, I, don't know. I, 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 I think that's just how they style it in Euroland. Right. Okay. It's they 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 it, 
I've seen like the period before, but I've not, I don't think I've seen the space that often. So I was good, a little four thousand. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm so has has anyone messed around with like the like in like newer earbuds and such? Uh, like I think everyone's doing some version of this, right? Yeah, like, it's all over the Apple stuff. I haven't. Uh, I haven't. Like they have like like every time you load the music app, it's like spatial audio, and you're they're always sending notific like. But I, I don't know that my pop something like my Carly Rae Jepsen single necessarily is like the best category for uh, appreciating the spatial audio. I will say the closest I get to it is uh, when I want to watch TV upstairs. The you can connect the AirPods to the Apple TV. And then it changes the direction. It's this. It's, it's similar to the spatial audio concept. Mm. But like, well, I'll go to the kitchen, and it sounds like whatever Game of Thrones or whatever is still playing in the distant in the other side of the room, as opposed to blasting your ears as though you are, uh, you know, uh, watching it right in front of a of a speaker. But I, I haven't messed with it. My the the projector I have downstairs. This is this is so I bought a nice enough uh, speaker bar that it support supports Dolby Atmos. Which is like, isn't the concept of that? It's bouncing the sound off the walls, like that's how it produces the. Some of the, some of the drivers do that. Like at like I this is the thing I do not fully understand. Uh, Aku made a reference to this. They have uh, double double Atmos. They note is not a type of playback, but an object instead of channel based mixing format that can then be rendered in anything from mono to surround two D or yeah. of three D sound. That aspect of like hmm. rendering the mix i do not under like this is the thing that like everything is moving to object-based systems i don't fully understand what that means given that it's all coming out of channels so uh my family actually my stepdad uh has a, a dolby like a dolby atmos setup in our in our like in my childhood home and uh yeah i mean it's it 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 is a different experience i will say it is it is distinct from surround sound uh, I know this because sometimes he will just put it on max fucking volume in the in the middle of a Tuesday, uh, being like, "What's he putting on max volume?" Uh, it's either metal or um, and the thing I'm gonna say, it sounds like the kind of shit that a trans girl who's DJing a Brooklyn party would play you, um, would mm-hmm. kind of like approach you in the street. And be like, just like put a, a phone speaker up to your ear and be like, isn't this great? And you'd be like, why is this happening to me right now? <laughs> I bet this sounds great at the club. But here on on the intersection of, of fucking Broadway and Evergreen, uh, not at Broadway and Evergreen, Broadway and uh, Gates. No, we're not doing this right now, ma'am. I'll go to your club later. It'll be fine. Um, So just like the most beep, boop, bop, beep, boop, bop. But it's like it's like it's supposed to fill the room in a way that, um, yeah. like traditional surround sound is like blasting at you from different degrees. But Atmos is supposed to like fill yes the room as my it works. Base, but my projector is still connect. It doesn't have an optical uh, output, and so I am I am just running a long auxiliary wire into that speaker. Rob, those I thought I'd solve this. I thought I was gonna when I was when I was approached over an email that said, "Would you like to? We would love to send you a sample of a 4K." gaming projector yeah and i replied and they said let us connect you with the acquisition specialist i was like would love to um no follow-up 
I even sent a follow-up email. I was starting to sound wow, desperate. Down they, didn't, bad. They, didn't, they didn't want me to, because I still haven't pulled the trigger on like the projector when I get down there. I've, I'm still trying to hold off for another year. You know, maybe, two, maybe I, I should I have reach an, out. I have, an, atmo, I I have an Atmo setup and I can't use it. I, I should reach crazy. out and be like, we all know who you were trying to get hold of. <laughs> And then I'll just get get it to you. Patrick. What are you gonna do with Patrick a projector in your? In, oh, okay. I was gonna say. Like, all of a sudden, Rob is drilling into this. The last time, Rob, the last time you hung something on your ceiling and then put something on it, my understanding is that it collapsed onto the floor. Hey, first of all, I didn't hang that. Take it up with MK. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I, I will say I have, I, I listen to this stuff a bit cause, um, it gets, it gets real, real absurd. Um, where, yeah. So, uh, Aku, Aku has a PS here. iOS 16 introduces personalized spatial audio by letting you 3d scan your head and ears, which I was just Shut as excited about up. as Mike Cerny. Uh. And I love the results of, uh, my, so my, my Sony headphones had the same thing where it was like, to really give you the best experience, uh, we need you to send us pictures of your ears. And so, <laughs> no. certainly, I am now in the Sony Phrenology database. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't let Steve Jobs, <laughs> don't let the ghost of Steve Jobs do phrenology on you. Like, like if if your phone is like, can I do phrenology on you? Just say no. But it's like, but I'll give you better sound. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, at some point, I'm going way. to be. At some point, some like corrupt, like professional expert witness is going to be like, as we know from the heinous nature of this crime and the disfigurement perpetrated on the victim only one with dangling lobes joins to the with, with, with no Christ. gap would be would be so low and debased morally uh to commit this kind of crime and because of the sony uh ear <laughs> ear, ear ear fingerprinting uh file we were able to identify mr zachney as the perpetrator i'm like no and then the camera pans to behind the courtroom where you see through the window the the fake Zachney mask that they that they created from your <laughs> from your earlobes and they use for yeah. the crime Wait, no, as not the a Zachney mask, mask wearer just walks those like, like yeah those those little like uh like el- like when people do the elf ears for yes, cosplay yes, like, but it's yes. just molded over your entire ear to make it look like Rob Zachney's ears uh, <laughs> black mirror and in it so I went all in on that of course of course I did. <laughs> and I was like, give me the spatial audio. And Patrick, I'm kind of with you. Like, the other thing that's tough to tell is a lot of the stuff is like, it's also remasters of music you've heard, right? Mm. So mm. it's like, it sounds great. But is that also because this has recently just been given a lot of like love and care in a production booth somewhere? That like the last time I heard it hadn't yeah, been done. Right, yeah, we're like you're getting the 4K upgrade and that's doing the heavy lifting on 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 the audio as opposed to the spatial part, which right. strikes me as I don't know. It feels g- gimmicky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but also I just don't listen to enough. I only thought because you listen to more instrumental like choral stuff, I could just I don't know conceptually that seems like it fits maybe slightly better for the spatial concept, but I I don't know if that's BS. Yeah, I just I, mean, I yeah. I was gonna say, I mean, with choral compositions, they are definitely like extremely spatial. And so that would be a, a, a very good test because you will be able to very clearly distinguish different parts uh, in a choral track. Like you will be able to distinguish like the tenor ones from the tenor twos based on positioning. There's um, <laughs> God, there's a there's a bit of like not necessarily beef, but um, 
there's like a backlash in the choral music scene against people uh, recording albums, not in studios, but in churches, because basically it's like. People think like this is how the music is meant to be heard, et cetera, et cetera. But like churches are not a good acoustic environment for recording in in a lot of ways. And so there's a lot of like people who are like connoisseurs of the scene view it as like it's almost like oaking your wine or something or like putting putting like sugar in the in the marinara uh where where it's like oh they're just sort of faking that sort of uh that sort of spatial soaring reverberating uh feel to make it sound like it's great choral music but it's actually muddying uh the the recording and like ruining the great work of the artists yeah, I mean, like, you're going to have different overtones in those spaces, and that is not going to, it is, like, the the differing overtones that you're going to get are going to make a major, major impact. Um, it's also, I mean, depending on who's making those recordings, those recordings are going to be harder for other choral programs to use, uh, because suddenly they are, uh, the mix is totally fucked by all of the reverberating echoes, and again, you cannot clearly distinguish, is that, is that the the fucking tenor twos coming in. Nice. Oh yeah. Nice. <laughs> cool. Uh. All right. Last thing on uh vocal music. So I went to school with a place with a music conservatory, and the other thing I noticed was a dangerous pipeline between doing like choral music and like being serious into like just like solo vocals or like choruses, and then. The pipeline from that into misguided acapella was it, so like quick. it was a, it was a bullet train. It was like it was like one day people were like, "Man, I love choral music," and the next thing, like people were just like, "Man, I found a I found the best acapella mix of Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks," and you're like, "No one needs that. No one, no one <laughs> needs that album to be acapella." But but it would be it, acapella would be done to you, uh, unfortunately. All right. Uh, hey, Patrick, this might be more in your wheelhouse. Might be in my mm-hmm. wheelhouse, too. But it might be for everyone uh, who whoever has Wow, has what a big up. wheel. Let's turn it. Yeah. Uh, Josh oh, in no. St. Louis writes, Hello, GamingAdvice.com. <laughs> I was just listening to your discussion about racing wheels and controllers and what I broadly term as the fuss versus plug-and-play dichotomy. I was compelled to ask, do any of you use controllers with extra mappable buttons? For the Steam Deck owners... Deckers? Do you use the R45, L45 buttons on the back of the deck? On the PS4, I got the little paddle button attachment for the DS4 and mapped the advanced dialogue button for Persona 5 uh, R to the left battle, uh, the left paddle button to allow one-handed play, but otherwise find myself thinking it's too much fuss to get one-handed any real One-handed play. Out of interesting application of that, of wow. those things. Huh. Just taking a huh. sippy. You're sitting there you're playing Persona, and you're like, oh, man, I'd love to take a sippy right now, but my dominant hand is pressing this dialogue button. What if that was in my left hand? <laughs> or just you want to fuss everything. on your phone, like games that are slower paced? I can, I can, I can 100% see how that would. Huh. Interesting. Sorry, you be listening continue. to a podcast, playing mm-hmm. Persona, and mm-hmm. a different game, mm-hmm. and enjoying a bevy. <laughs> playing World Flipper or something your phone <laughs> so Patrick, I, I have not messed with the uh like i see them there and i'm like huh maybe i maybe i'll mess with that on the on the deck but like in general that is the the little back buttons are are pretty far down the hierarchy of the things i'm gonna go at 
Uh, I think that, I think the one of the first things I noticed about the deck was wondering why my characters kept doing actions that I didn't feel like I was pressing <laughs> on the front of the deck, and it turns out, oh, I'm accidentally pressing these buttons on the back on the back of the deck, and I need to disable them as as soon as possible. I also at some point Microsoft sent me like one of the elite controllers. Mm. I just like it just showed up. I didn't request it, and one of the first things I did was rip those. <laughs> rip those five, those, those, those springy fuckers off the back. That's and the point. No, I but in, yeah, I didn't. I, I said I didn't request it. I, no, I, so didn't, I, I don't have a use for an elite controller. So many games they're, by they're, default they're, do not support those back the those those back levers too. It's just like this is where the X, remember shooters they primarily, could also right? So you're, it's, it's loadouts and things. I mean, it's, it's the, those are just not games that I I I play. Like I understand why if you're like you know an Apex. Or bad, you know, whatever. Like take your take your. I pick. found they like, were good to, to map a shift uh, action to in a racing game because then yeah, you, know, you can sense. keep your thumbs on the sticks and mm-hmm. uh, like hit the shift or the clutch, which was really cool. Um, so, but I, I found that less useful than I than I hoped. I mean the the very mundane version of this. I don't think it was any different from like mapping additional mouse buttons, right? Additional keys in your mouse. Like I use all of my mouse keys um, for various games. Uh, Valorant, my mouse is uh, weapon switch, jump, uh, change my DPI, uh, and then your standard like aim shoot. Um, and so I feel like that that counts. Um, but actually, the, there's a this has actually been an ongoing conversation to bring back to fighting games for a second. Uh, are dash macros considered acceptable? Uh, and how do people do people feel like dash macros are 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 destroying the balance of things has become an ongoing conversation because you can put a lot of fucking buttons on a uh, fighting game controller and they are only getting more complicated and weirder uh, as time goes on. And so it is it is becoming an ongoing question as to the line between accessibility tools and tools that are going to actively and consistently give a competitive edge. Hmm. Um, in terms of like additional like feature mapping and um like very quick inputs i uh i flew too close to the sun uh with this lately well sorry it it it, wor- it mostly works out for what i intended but mm. i got excited about a secondary feature so i realized i had a lapdog uh, shaped hole in my heart um you know ever mm-hmm. since i mm-hmm. since i sent it to to live down with you in new york because how was I going to get my couch gaming done with uh, with my PC? And they don't make lap dogs anymore. At least the, the like that that's 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 we, we discovered that on stream. Yeah, uh, I was like, why? Hey, how come? How come this company that makes these isn't isn't at getting in our DMs to just send us a bunch of lap dogs? Oh, because they discontinued these. Like, <laughs> there's nothing to promote. But enter our friends from Razor. With the mm-hmm. Razer turret, uh, the turret, yeah. Oh, because it like it pivots, like it moves. Like, what's the? Tur- what's, I think what's it, the turret? I think more because it's like a, a seat of power, a, a, a commanding. I think more is because view. you're locked in. Yeah, you can't stand up while you're holding it. <laughs> you're locked in place like a turret. <laughs> the keyboard's built in. Well, keyboard is built in, oh. and uh, you know you can't you can't see this listening to it on pod, but. I don't even know you because you won't be able to feel it. So it's it's mm. it's nice. It's oh, it's small. It's, 
It's small. It's wireless, which is the key thing. Wireless, mm. which it turns out was my real issue with the lap dog. Sure. Was the giant like garden hose size cable. Cool little touch. The mouse lightly magnetized to the uh to the oh, mouse pad was built in. So it can stay there. Yeah. Like you have some play, you can tilt it a bit, and it's not just gonna go like trying to slide onto the floor. Um That's really cool. Hmm. It is really cool. It seems like a nice evolution of the of the lap dog concept. Yeah, and like it's it's so easy to use, it's so much less of a pain in the ass that like immediately I've probably played more games on my PC on my TV with this thing that I did with the entire like last year uh with the with the lap dog. Hey, Rob. Yeah. You said the keyboard is built in? Uh-huh. So yeah, you you can only make you can only make this happen once. You can't like swap out that at all or No, it's, oh, it's like it's it is what it is. Okay. Yeah. I see. I was but it's it's a decent razor keyboard. Um like it's it's nothing too fancy, but I think the the switches are obnoxiously loud enough to satisfy, yeah. you know, any gamer. They have um, those razor. What, what do they call them? Razor has greens. Been, yeah, something like <laughs> that. Um, they're they're dog shit switches. They're mm. like famously fucking despised switches. They're fine. It's very clicky. It's very clacky. Uh, Look, we're trying to get Razor to send Rob some shit. Like, <laughs> they don't need to send switches. Apparently, they don't need to send me shit because I'll just buy it. Unfortunately, yeah. Rob's I was like, uh-huh. okay, that's a good point. Uh, but hey, this was this was to be clear. This was an MK idea. I was like, I miss couch gaming, and MK was like, we're not bringing the lap dog back, but here's what we can get. I will permit this, and I was like, this is a better option. This is good. <laughs> uh, so Razor turret, good. But when I got it, it was like the thing that's all over the box is. It's to level up your Xbox gaming. I was like, oh. And for a minute, a whole world opened before me where I was <laughs> like, I can just play all those games that are on Xbox that are also on PC and I can just like play them with a PC control scheme. That'll be incredible. They're effectively like the same the same game. So like that's that's awesome. It'll mean that. You know, there's a ton of stuff that I can just install on my Xbox and have it hooked into the receiver and the, the surround sound stuff will work with way less hassle than it does on PC. That'll be great. No, uh, only a handful of games support the turret. It's like mm. Halo and a couple shooters, uh, Minecraft, but like there is no. What more like, do you need? You got Halo and Minecraft. That's it. That's all the video games. But my immersive <laughs> Sims. <laughs> Arcane who? Those uh, secondary control, like keyboard on uh, on consoles, is is a very is a frustrating place to go as someone who plays fighting games on keyboard, uh, yeah. which means that she can't go to locals uh, with her controller because her controller is a fucking keyboard. Do uh, it, keyboard. Do it, just do it. No, it doesn't work, Kato. Oh, are they all um, running consoles that's why yeah they they all run consoles for mm. the most part uh there's one place that doesn't um that's the one place i went to locals uh but mostly they run ps4s uh because ps5s are one hard to get uh and two there's a ton of uh fighting game controllers that don't work with the ps5 because the playstation 5's um controller uh reading uh is fucking awful sony made it terrible uh, and basically killed a ton of controllers backwards compatibility or like forwards compatibility um, by just kind of closing down the uh, controller ecosystem. And so uh, I 
I, I understand your pain, Rob, is what I'm saying of not yeah. being able to actually use the device for the thing you want it to, which is why I have a PCB sitting on the other side of my room for a homemade fighting game controller. Yeah, it's it's just frustrating because I'm like, effectively, they're PC games already. Just support the goddamn keyboard. I'm not I'm not like I'm not going to go fuck up your competitive balance in some in some game. I just I just want to play some of these games on my Xbox without having to install it on my pc and and have it have the signal sent over to the receiver but oh well uh still still good still good get uh still still a cool solution for for the the couch gaming uh conundrum uh last email here comes from andrew hello rob patrick codwin renata this is andrew from ohio thanks for doing us proud renata i know that you've been begging for good (laughs) questions lately I will try to fit a few different questions, uh, so no need to read this email as a whole. And I, I did pluck the, the one I liked the most here. Firstly, I've been making my way through the Waypoint backlog. As someone who only started listening around episode 400, this is a daunting task to catch up on those other 400. So my question is, what is a project, game, show, etc. that you've been putting off because it is too big? I'd like this person to follow oh up God. with, are you, are you listening at increased speeds? And if so, what speed are you listening to us at? I listen to podcasts at like 1.25. That's where I top out. Would you, Beyond that's that. That's where I top out. And also, yes. if that if that podcast has any music cues, God forbid, they all sound like shit. Like yes. 1.25 is where just all the tones smear together and it's awful. Oh, I don't. Do you use Overcast? Rob? I use like, Podcast now. So Overcast, uh, it has this incredible feature that uh, deletes the sp- like. To a degree that you can't notice it, it doesn't make it distracting. But the pauses in between people speaking, oh my god, it just oh my god. Yeah. it already sounds yeah. coked out enough though. Listen to it, at <laughs> you can't notice it. I, I, Overcast, like all of their features, are incredible, really well done, and uh, but wouldn't it, there be like an unnatural like cadence to the conversation where it's just like blah, it blah, doesn't blah, really blah, get, whatever. However, the algorithm works. However, like I, I need to pull it up in the app. It tells you how much time you've saved. I yeah, um, that's a good shit. It's usually five I got minutes a, per episode. Statistics. Uh, well, can t- continue while I, I I try and I try and find this. Uh, I've been sorry. I found a smart speed to <laughs> save you an extra six hundred and twelve hours beyond speed adjustments alone. What? I told you I listen to a lot of podcasts, God a lot damn. of sports podcasts. Oh my god! Like but yes, now I've used this for probably a decade, right? Like it's been my podcast app ever since it had one. No. But uh. That's just, Rob, you know, efficiencies. That's just more time in your life for more things. I love it. That sounds sounds great. Yeah, Kato, big projects. Uh, To make sure I didn't miss misunderstand. What? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't misunderstand this. This is like media consumption projects right no i mean it could be anything i think go any direction you want sure well my 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 thing that i thought of was just i've really been wanting to watch hunter hunter uh forever but it's an anime that is how many episodes does it have it has a million fucking episodes because it's a show in anime but i've heard it's huh you can do it in four weeks four weeks of like watching nothing else and like not sleeping or no, I did it. <laughs> yeah, well, in four uh, weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Question. I can't tell if that's an endorsement Ren, or not. Ren, I, did I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. Yeah, Do you feel up? you were what's rewarded up? for that decision? Hunter's Hunter's fucking great. Yeah. yeah. What? Yes, it's a good. It's a good show, but it's Each also episode is twenty minutes long. 
if an episode is 20 minutes long, you can get through three episodes a day. Easy. Kid <laughs> shit. Let me see. Let me see if I can find it. There's six seasons. It's 150 episodes. 150. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I was like looking for... Uh, wow, why is season five 61 episodes? Is that wrong? It's a big arc, Kato. It's an important <laughs> arc, Kato. So that's it's important. Kato. It's a big arc, duh. Duh, a doy. Season okay, season one's forty nine. What, what is this? I, something feels off here because then it says season two is only twelve. Then three is twenty. Four is seventeen. Five they is sixty one. They got good at making anime. <laughs> well, sometimes that's what pacing is. And then six is twelve. Uh, uh, anyways, yeah, hundred, anything over a hundred episodes, I'm just like, uh, which is part of why I'm still very, very, very slowly working through, uh, Gundam. I finished first Gundam, but I haven't started Gundam Zeta yet. <laughs> I, I mean, in terms of media consumption, I do this shit all the time. Like I, I, I started reading all of Berserk, like like two weeks ago and that's five that's 400 chapters of manga uh and i Ooh. slammed through 27 volumes in four days uh i just started reading um jeff vandermeer's ambergris trilogy uh but, and i'm through through the first book of that but hold on mm-hmm. what is too big even for renata that's the question not not what projects are you just like shotgunning but what are you beholding that you're like Oh, someday I really want to do that, but oh no, I couldn't. I mean, possibly. there's a ton of answers that's just like making shit. There's a ton of shit that I want to make that I've that I've been putting off, um, which like stretches from like video essay projects that I've uh, like put on the back burner to like again that uh, fighting game uh, thing I mentioned, uh, the fighting game uh, PCB I have. Uh, I would actually love to hand make the case for that out of wood. Uh, and then uh, basically carve into the front of it um, a couple of things and then paint inside the carving, like inside of the, the engraved bits. Uh, and I think that would be very pretty because I think uh, basically all fight sticks are fucking ugly. Um, I think they are they are heinous to look at. I think the print art prints on them are corny as hell. Uh, and I think that you should just make it look pretty and good. Uh, and smaller uh, than an entire arcade cabinet sitting on your fucking lap, you weirdos. Mm. Um, but yeah, that is that is one thing I've I've been putting off. I don't know. I put a lot of shit off. I'm ill. <laughs> I'm sick. Uh, I feel like I mentioned this on a previous podcast or stream. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I always wanted to write a book, and uh, by the time I got like enough notoriety that I could write a book. Then I had kids and I was sort of faced with the dilemma of, do you want to give up your weekends to write a book? Um, and I sort of like said, no, like I had a, a pitch. I got connected with a literary agent and then uh, that has worked with some folks that I know and they signed off on them. And the, the lit agent was very excited about the pitch. I was like, cool, this will be very easy to sell. Like, let me know if you want to move forward. And then I just, I just didn't move. I just didn't move forward. Um, and it's the kind of thing that I will get back to. I'd like to do something at, at some point in my life, but I just like wasn't willing to give up 
the free time just to have a spine on my shelf. Like, so I was like, I have plenty of time to do that in the future. I think the way I put it when it came up either here or on a stream was at some point, my children will be disinterested in me. And this isn't like, yeah, because oh, this is at the bank. Because Ren very much said like, oh, the dad writing the great American novel. It's where like my kids will get older and have like interests. Like they won't want, they won't need me all the time. And then the way I've like rationalized feeling bad that like when I see my peers doing stuff like this is that, uh, well, I'll just get that time back. And like that, that like part of the stuff that you give up for yourself when your kids are young is stuff that does swing back around when they're older. And so for me, it's like, that is a project I do intend on doing. It just sort of is on hold until I have the time. Cause I, I'll regret not having that time with my kids and more so than having the book on the shelf. And it's like, yeah. I'll come up with another idea in, you know, five, 10 years. What a healthy relationship to your own mortality and kind of the amount of time <laughs> you'll have. That's that's really legitimately. This isn't a bit. I just I'm happy to hear this. It, it I, was, I, did, I, I I got a uh, I I was com- uh, was pitched on an idea uh, for a book this spring that I turned down, and that one hurt. I actually had a long conversation with my wife about how would I how would I make that one work, and I still turn I still turned it down. But that one that one was that that one it was like specially made for me, and I didn't even have to like come up with the idea. It was just like do you just do this. It's actually like not that big of a lift, but it was it was big enough that <sighs> said no. I guess for me, there's a big one. There's a little one, and the little one is more just like you need to suck it up and do it. This sounded cool. I just didn't. So, are you still are you still subscribed to Planet Fitness? Is this? Look, the king of executive function is gathering his forces for another campaign, (laughs) much like another great king of executive function, Napoleon fucking Bonaparte. And that leads me to my uh, project I've set aside a year or so ago. The Sergei Bandarchuk four part uh, Moss film production of War and Peace, uh, which is four different movies totaling 431 minutes. Uh, and a beautiful <laughs> restoration put out and I immediately was like buying that shit on Criterion because like this was the Moss film like throwing everything at it including like the Red Army where it was like you know how you're gonna make the biggest fucking Napoleonic war epic in history you'll put actual like infantry divisions in the field and period dress and like just film that shit going going bonkers but also it's going to be like a really serious dramatic uh, you know uh production of war and peace etc and i was like fuck yeah it sounds great it sounded great until the 431 minutes of war and peace showed up (laughs) and then i was like all right now i just gotta wait to be in the moment for 431 minutes of war and peace which is still gonna be way faster than reading the novel and i was like oh man these people seem depressing and so I haven't quite I haven't quite found that moment to be like mm, time to time to tuck in to my big <laughs> fancy War and Peace uh, compilation. So that's that's probably the that that that's 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 probably the one that I'm just like I just need to like pick a long weekend and be like this is War and Peace weekend gonna really savor this amazing this amazing production. Haven't quite found it. You just got to do what Patrick did and make it content. You know, we've got my turn. <laughs> oh, no. 
no. Immediately, don't immediately don't trolling don't, my. Uh, don't, don't. Hey, don't, by my reckoning, it's one movie. Y'all. Yeah, yeah. One movie, four parts. What's the connection? What's the connection to Predator? How do we make that? How Napoleon do we make that Bonaparte's like the Predator? <laughs> can you elaborate on Napoleon that? Bonaparte's a sexual tyrannosaur? Yeah, Rob. Can you wow. elaborate on that? Can you tell me more? Uh, I mean, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but you know, in eighteen in eighteen twelve. Uh, a bunch of Russian badasses were just uh, the, living the life of virtuous, virtuous uh, czarist nobles uh, on the on the frontier of Europe. Mm-hmm. And then, holy shit, what's killing us? It's the Grand Armée. <laughs> and uh, and so they were hunted across um, across across Russia mm-hmm. until they discovered uh, that the Grand Armée only saw heat. And so once the Russian winter uh, set in, it was vulnerable and they couldn't oh, see shit. Oh, that's what happened yeah. in winter. <laughs> yeah. They just floundered around the Berezina River being like, oh, no, I can't. I can't get across the Berezina River. And they just they just fucked they fuck those guys up. Just just lit them up. They made a yeah. cool they made a cool graph about it. That's uh, history. <laughs> that is that is history that will do it uh for today's podcast uh you can uh you can send us more questions at gaming at vice.com with the subject line questions uh we we're we're enjoying all the 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 gaming related questions uh we're getting these days the follow-ups to stuff we've we've talked about uh, that's a wrap on today's episode if you want more from waypoint you can follow us on twitter at waypoint facebook and youtube waypoint vice you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Kato, where can people find you? At a underscore Kato underscore appears. Patrick. At Patrick Hoppick. Ren. At Ren or Raven. You can also check out what we've published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, this week, Ren's piece on the Battletech mod uh, we were discussing a few weeks ago, Battletech Advance 3062. Uh, went up and i also wrote my take on uh immortal empires and look real talk i basically restate the stuff you right here from here today you don't need to read that article but like i'd appreciate it if you did but you know <laughs> basically i basically gave you all the liner notes to that album just share it on share it on share it on social media upvote it you know Get, you, you know, know go to that go to that bra- go to your browser let it sit there for you know 60 to 90 seconds and uh crush it we need we need that we need that linger uh and hey, thanks to they call it the biz, the, the linger, linger. <laughs> the linger, the perusal. Your perusal metrics are down. Uh, and hey, thanks to Waypoint Plus. Uh, we'll be streaming up a storm. Uh, Kato and I are finishing our first season of Motorsports Manager. Woo! Uh, like by the time you've heard, you'll, you'll have heard this. I, I think we're we're in a very exciting place, uh, and I think in this next in the year's car is amazing. We've we've gotten rid of the 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 sort of we, uh, we, we executed that terrible designer. <laughs> yeah. uh, like he was just he he was a Done. saboteur. We Gone. we figured out he was an enemy of the people, and uh, you know we just shot him. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know it was you can't. I I was I, I was against but, like I said. Surely we can we can just let him go. And Kato was like enemies of the people. Do not get mercy. No, um, motorsports a, manager not, goes places. Yeah, we uh, strapped into the 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 old years, the last year's car, and then ceremoniously drove that into the ocean. That's how we 
you know, get rid of the yeah. old one. We got to get the new stuff in. <laughs> yeah, you said this was a good car. Why don't you drive this piece of shit? Try, try to drive out of this ocean. Yeah, this is your shame. <laughs> uh, Patrick, you're also going to be playing a bit more Elden Ring uh, this week, continuing your track, right? We are. Yeah, we got married. Um, uh, we are now beginning to start thinking about... We are in the... Not the end, but we are broadly speaking headed towards some of the the final big sections of the game to the point where we have to start considering which version of the game we want to <laughs> i think it's probably frenzy flame what i'm pretty sure what? fuck this place what fuck them fuck them fuck them after, fuck em. after, after everything that weird guy, you met after- shabiri and you're still like frenzy flame <laughs> Frenzy of Flame is my favorite rock band track. That you got always. married and you're like mm-hmm. frenzied flame. Yeah, that's the big Bro. one. Sometimes, sometimes you settle. <laughs> Bro, what? Oh my god! Who's, who said? Did I get married to Ronnie or did Ronnie get married to me? Mm. Like I don't. We, we didn't. <laughs> well, think about it. Oh my god! Uh, and hey, Waypoint Bro, Plus what? listeners will be able to hear our. Uh, our next edition of my turn, we'll be uh, discussing prey uh, following following off of uh, Predator. Hey, you know what was a good decision? Not doing Predator Two. Really? I watched it. This you watch week- it? I watched it this weekend, and uh, like it wasn't it wasn't a bad time, but it was like not a thing where it was like, boy, it's not worth a podcast. This would be a great right? podcast yes. for ninety minutes. No, yeah, no, no, no it's no. like that jingle all the way. That's gonna that's gonna fucking rock. <laughs> Swear to God. Yeah, we don't know we don't know where Kato's taking us after prey. I'm excited. It sounds like they're gonna kill us like with the third episode. <laughs> where it's like, all right, prey was real good. What do you got for us, Kato? Jingle all the way. All right, Kato, here's here's what I need you to do though. Yeah. So, okay, so I need you to figure this out before we record. Yeah, yeah. But then not tell us until the end of the recording. Okay. So I need that to be a surprise to all of us. Is that cool? Can you can you accomplish this? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Good. Good. I feel like that is a good bit to have at the end of these is just a collective response to where we're going next. But I think we might also need a, a jingle all the way veto roll just in case something just- else happens. <laughs> like I think there's I think it's I think it's your turn within reason, but like Yeah, within reason. If we can't okay. start like, you know, can't once it turns into troll fast, you know we got problems. We got problems. All right, all right, all right, all right. We'll go to twins. My turn <laughs> within reason is how we wait. No, everyone, listen, listen, listen. Rob, take off your headphones. And everyone else, I think my turn within reason is how we can prevent Rob from taking over the podcast with a four-part <laughs> Right, and put the rule yeah, now to, before like, we. How do our movies get oh, wait, so, further so the away rule from sounded dictatorial movies. until you realize it's a rule for everybody? Everybody <laughs> wants this veto power. Listen, we've all, we all, we here at Waypoint acknowledge the necessity of regulation. And that applies to industries, but it also applies to our own hearts. <laughs> now, Kindergarten Cop presupposes what if the predator was oh, a shitty ex husband who was also a criminal? And you you had to protect your son, who was just the dumbest kid in the Northern Hemisphere. And he's like, I protect my mom by climbing dangerous radio masts. It's like, what the fuck, kid? God damn it. That movie. <laughs> anyway, 
if that sounds good and I can't see how it would not, uh, or if you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. But, you know, what if you want to show your support as well? Well, for that, you can go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint Waypoint merch, including the pint glass that uh, Ren is presenting to the camera. We're the only ones who can see it, but we appreciate the spirit. <laughs> like you'd imagine, imagine Ren gracefully holding out uh, like a QVC model, uh, a, a pint glass with the adventure on it. Uh, and now imagine us talking, making lots of outlandish claims about how what a quality piece it is and how it's really an heirloom and could be yours for uh, just a few simple installments. We don't do that. Waypoint Waypoint General Store. One installment. You know, cash you up front. <laughs> One payment. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we're calling time on this Monday. Tuesday, we record on Monday. I get confused mm-hmm. sometimes. We'll talk to you again on Friday. Till then, fuck capitalism. Go home. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm slowly driven, being driven mad by the fact that, like, my new headphones are busted. Oh, how are they busted? Something bad with one of the drivers in the uh, in the left uh, no. earpiece. Like, any sort of, like, anything in sort of the bassy register, you get that, like, flabby bass response where it just, like, mm. buzzes. Um, it sounds like a screen door rattling. And yep. so. Yeah, that's back um, they go. evil. Back they go. To the place you bought them, or are you getting them repaired? No, I'm going to send them back to the new egg. Got it. Everyone, tone down down how dulcet your tones are so Rob can be freed. What? Mitigate how dulcet your tones are. Yeah, yeah turn down the bass in your voice. Stay in the treble range. Yeah, please. <laughs> Listen, I as as an expert in turning down the bass in her voice. That's Sing just it. easy. Don't say Kid it. Kid shit.